Coming to you from 8122 Production Studios in the heart of the 607, this is Horror Zone 607. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And remember, you can always join the conversation using hashtag HZ607. Everybody, and welcome to Horizone 607. I'm your host, Spooky Mike. And don't adjust your, your radio sets or your headphones or whatever it is that you're listening to the show on. I am back in Studio 13 temporarily. And over in the 8122 Production Studios, he is the one that next year, instead of a big glass ball, he will be sliding down the pole at Times Square. He's rich. I always wanted to slide down a pole in Times Square. I know you have. I know you have, and it's going to happen. That's how we're going to ring in 2023 next year. My dreams will come true. <laughs> yeah. You make my dreams come true. We're not going with Hall & Oates this week, though. There's yeah. not going to be any Hall & Oates on this show, but you know we can always get a Hall & Oates reference in here. So this is uh, this is our first show that we're recording in 2022. That's and, right. Uh, it's already messed up. <laughs> so COVID has kind of put a damper on everything. But you know we're getting the show done. You know That's what's important. We're getting it done. It's a minor inconvenience as far as I'm concerned. I'd rather be there with you, though. Yeah, it'll be nice to have you in studio, but, you know, just a little uh, extra editing work for me afterwards, and uh, we'll be all good for this week. Yeah, it is what it is. I'll be back in a few weeks in the studio, and, you know, I'll be giving you a massage the whole show, you know, as I normally do. Sounds about right. <laughs> with that being <laughs> that said, was, though, we got we got Christmas a, and New Year's. Yeah, New Year's was good. Christmas was good. I, I had enjoyed the holiday seasons. Uh, spent it with family, relaxing. Uh, we went to Atlantic City, New Jersey for some wrestling for uh, New Year's. Came back with a bit of a head cold. Uh, you know, I've kind of gotten over that over the week. Saying thankfully, uh, also knock on wood, it wasn't uh, the COVID. Thank you, thankfully. But it was just a, a normal ass head cold. But since I haven't been sick in two years, it kind of kicked my ass for a couple days. Uh, outside of that, I've uh, I've been pretty good. How about your Christmas and New Year's, Mike? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Uh brother came home with his family for christmas my cousin brought his family up um you know i got to see my my uncle it it was a good time new year's was a little low-key um i decided uh for the second year in a row to use my um uh my air fryer and make my own chicken wings and made it uh got a pizza and you know kind of had my own little uh new year's party here by myself sounds like a (laughs) blast wings yeah it was good you know i watched ryan seacrest and the ball drop and you know it's twilight zone marathon it was it was okay. Yeah, we had a big the- celebration at the uh, showboat and the carousel room for GCW, and uh, we watched a fucking death match right after. So, perfect timing. They did a like a countdown. Uh, we well, did a countdown. Yes, they uh, had uh, Effie, which is uh, better known as Daddy. He came out and uh, got the crowd riled up, and we did a whole New Year's thing. And then uh, right after, they set up and had a had the first match of the year, which was a death match. Nice. So then we got got to get to see guys get put through panes of glass and light tubes. Oh, that's safe. It was hey, it's it's the best way to ring in the new year. <laughs> Some people slide down a pole. Other people go through a pane of glass. Yeah, yeah. Well, one happens. person in particular went through a ladder that had light tubes attached to it. Jeez. <laughs> oh, pretty. It was pretty intense. It was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. They, uh, we enjoyed ourselves. Well, that's good. That's all that matters. 
they put their life on the line for you, and you you win. Yeah. You're the winner. You some people watch a ball drop. I watched another human, one human being throw another human being off of a twenty foot ladder through another ladder that was covered in light tubes. I mean, oof, it's, things are things are things are uh, same but different. Yeah, uh, there's still glass involved and still falling and dropping. Right. But with that being that said, sense. we got a big show this week. We got uh, news back for the first time in a while. I mean, not a ton because I mean it's that slow time of year for every kind of news, but in particular horror news. Also, then we got not one, but two bonus segments. It's going to be an extra long show for everybody this week because we are trying to get in all of Stabathon in time for Scream 2022, which does come out on my birthday weekend. So I'm going to be doing that for my birthday weekend. But uh, we will be reviewing in the first and the second segment, we'll be reviewing Scream 3. And in the last segment, the third segment, the rare third segment these days, we'll be reviewing Scream 4. So that way you guys are up to date. So next week on the show... Uh, news uh, news alert. Mike C. will not be on the show because of, as of right now, he won't be able to go see Scream 2022. So I'll be tapping one of our numerous guests who is going to go see it with me to come back and do the review for you guys next week. So next week, Stabathon will conclude with Scream 2022. So we're very excited for all of that. Yeah, I'm excited that I don't get to see it. That <laughs> breaks you're, my well, heart. I know you're not excited for that, but I'm just saying we're all excited to go get through Stabathon. Yeah, it's been it's been nice so far. It's been a good it's been a good journey. It's been a good trip. It has been. It has. That is absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. And I I still stand by what I said before, and we'll make sure we explain it again. I've 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 said before the Scream franchise as a franchise possibly better than the Halloween franchise. Yeah, it's the most coherent. It is, and so far we've proven it with Scream One and Scream Two. Yes. And I'm even going to prove it here with Scream 3 and Scream 4 that even in even in the quote-unquote weaker of the sequels, it was still better than the weakest of any of uh, the other major horror franchises. So I feel right. confident in that. Honestly, I do. Once again, that's just my opinion. You guys can have your own, but I think, I think you guys will uh, really enjoy where we go with this. But I hope so. Without further ado, Mike, it's time to stop talking about us and it's time to stop talking about what's coming later in the show and even next week because, Mike, are you excited? This is the first time we're going to be doing the news in 2022. So, Mike C., get excited. I got something really, really good for you because here, man, my friend, is the Horror Zone News. That's how you do it right there. That is how you do it right there, Rich. Thank you for bringing in the news. I wish I could be there with you, like I said, you know, to, to, to do this with you, but let's get it going here. Let's start talking about the news because we got some exciting things to talk about. Um, the first thing is not so exciting, and that's how we ended that rough, awful 2021, and that was with the news that 17 days before her 100th birthday, the legendary, legendary Betty White, passed away at the age of 99 uh we bring this up you know obviously she's known for her comedy but she was in lake placid uh which is considered a horror comedy and um she was phenomenal phenomenal in lake placid she was the best part of that movie in in an otherwise subpar movie she was she was by far the best part of it um and i i I don't think there's a person alive that didn't love betty white yeah it's it it was a definitely a tragedy and now she's a national treasure uh, you know, obviously everybody's in, you know, talking about it. We talked about it in death cause D- diesel took it really hard over on three fat nerds. 
Uh, but you know, it it sucked. Uh, it was it was really weird because she had been in the news the whole week, talking about you know good turning one hundred and the new year, and you know talking about uh, Ryan Reynolds wanting to uh, date her, and then we lost her literally on New Year's Eve. Yeah, that was something I didn't see coming. Twenty twenty one had one last evil trick up its sleeve. Yeah, it and did. it was Betty White. And- that one that that was a tough one. Again, national treasure is is an understatement. Um, I don't think there was anybody alive that didn't love her, you know, and didn't respect her. So a great loss to this world um, with Betty White. So rest in peace to the great legendary Betty White. Uh, but on to you know some some more positive news here. Uh, so I want to start by talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife, which uh, I had not gotten a chance to see. I know that you had seen it about seventy two times, uh, starting with Comic Con. Uh, it is available now on digital and will be available on DVD and Blu-ray February 1st. And I, I just wanted to say I spent $19.99 and I bought it uh, this past Tuesday when it hit on digital. So I have finally seen Ghostbusters Afterlife. Well, about damn time. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be so happy to know that I was not as positive about it as you have been, though. I don't understand why. So... Here's my thing with this movie. Um, it wasn't that I hated it. It was entertaining enough as it was. I actually uh, text you like a half hour into the movie and uh, talked about McKenna Grace and her performance uh, as one of Egon's grandchildren. And she was phenomenal. She was really, really good in the movie. I, I laughed so many times, you know, when she was on screen. She was Egon to a T. You know, she had that nerdiness to her, that dry sense of humor. She was outstanding. As she usually is, in, you know, in things that she's in. But I just, to me, it was a whole lot of nothing happening through the whole movie. It was like a fan film that was made for Netflix. Like, that's what it felt like. It felt, it did not feel like a Ghostbusters movie. Absolutely one iota to me. Not one iota. It was just a whole lot of references, a whole lot of Easter eggs, and a whole lot of nothing happening. That's strange that you felt that way. Honestly, I still thought it was a beautiful love letter to fans. It did what it needed to do. It rebooted the series because it had to be, you know, to tie it into the original, you had to start with a reboot somewhere and you had to do the fan service and the fan service of it was how do you explain what's gone on with the Ghostbusters for the last 30 years? And Except I thought that they didn't. I, it did. It tied it in perfectly because they didn't show up. I mean, spoiler for anybody that hasn't seen this. They didn't show up until 15 minutes before the movie ended. It doesn't matter. The movie wasn't just about them. It was they were there to pass on what they had to pass on. That's obviously the part that fell on deaf ears for you. They did explain what happened to them. There's a whole lifelong dialogue about what happened. You know, Egon went off because he lost his, you know, allegedly lost his mind talking about the end of the world and stole all the stuff. Dan Aykroyd tells you that. Of course, we then know that uh, uh, Dr. Vakeman has been working at Cortland because it got a huge pop. Uh, from the New York Comic Con crowd, because obviously a New York reference. Uh, also, that uh, Winston went into the financial world and made a kajillion fucking dollars. So, like, they all went on to do different things. And of course, Ray is still at Ray's Occult Bookstore, you know, staying true to Ray. And at the end of the day, the, what worried them is when she calls him from jail and then says that, you know, the last thing that he hears is that that's Egon's granddaughter. It gets something rolling in him. And then every, when all hell breaks loose in the town, because newsflash, it does tie in to the original movie. And in a kind of interesting way, because of the person who created this town, also the same person that created that building. 
So then you turn around, and at the right critical point and juncture in this movie, when it looks like all hope is gone, your hope returns in the form of the three original Ghostbusters. And it's just a perfect timing for them. And then you get the even bigger surprise to end the movie, which is ends the movie on a really dramatic and nice note. That's what nice. I, that's what I felt, and that's what a lot of people felt. I mean, if you didn't like it, it wasn't for you, but it's just it was what it was, and it, it, it took you to the point where they had to be, including they had two bonus scenes at the end, which uh, tied in nicely, especially the one I thought was just well done because they kind of like trick you into thinking something. You're like, wait a minute, I didn't see that, and then it happens, and then the last scene. I mean, I guess it's better because I was there at New York Comic Con for it and had the foresight and hearing you know them talk about it the last scene sets up winston going back into the firehouse and the light blinking which is a way for them to continue on ghostbusters right but the ghostbusters are not going to continue on with the old men in the suits anymore i mean i'm sure they'll show up but you if you wanted to do if if you wanted to do like that ghostbusters movie that came out with all women would have been a fine movie if they would have tied it into the original, I actually kind Agreed. of thought that was entertaining and funny. And I, I but they never tied it in. Opinion. This is not a popular opinion with people, but I thought that was a better movie than this. It was more entertaining. There was more stuff happening. It, it was, was definitely funnier. a more com. It was definitely a more comedic movie. Yeah, but the reason why I like this so much and why it was a love letter to the fans is it bridges the gap between the two worlds. It bridged the gap between going, okay, here's these old Ghostbusters that we know. You know, one of them unfortunately is no longer with us and then the other three are let's be honest they're they're getting up there even though you know winston looks amazing still right not so much for bill murray uh i was very concerned about bill murray watching that movie so um with that being said though it bridges that gap and going okay we can make a movie without them putting them in and tying and passing the baton and then we could set up a universe which jason reitman talked about at new york comic-con where he wanted some of his other famous director fans, friends to take a shot in the Ghostbusters universe. So this was his way of kind of leaving it open-ended because now you can have somebody go, okay, what do we have at the end? We have Winston's obviously got control of this and he's got money. He's going to refund the Ghostbusters. There's ghosts back in the world because of what happened. And now also the containment unit looks like it's going to malfunction. So we're going to have a big issue, maybe another big thing to bring back Ghostbusters. And then you could do different, fran- you can do that same franchise where it's still a Ghostbusters movie. Could you imagine if we had this movie before and then you did the women's one where, where, where they would have just been one of the chapters in the city or a different city of Ghostbusters. And then you right. would have been, you see what I mean? So even if you didn't like the movie completely, it was the missing key to bridge a gap between the old and the new. And that's why I said it would be better served for like that that all women's one, which I did find entertaining when other people didn't, because people really shit on it because it had no tie into the originals. So if you go, okay, here's here's what we did now. If you would have came out after, they could have just been a chapter of the Ghostbusters, and right. they're dealing in the city, it and we knew, yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah, exactly. So it would have still had to deal with the story because we had a thing that bridged the gap. So I really do believe Jason Reitman did a great job bridging the gap. Like I said, if it didn't execute for you, that's fine. I just think it's unfair to say it didn't do its job. The job was to bridge a gap, and that yeah. gap is thirty years long. And what are you going to do? You can't have Bill Murray running around in a proton pack for no, three hours but, of a movie. 
if they had been involved, it just did. It was not a Ghostbusters movie, as far as I'm concerned. It was a couple of 12 year olds and a couple of 16 year olds running around with their melodramatic teen lives. That's what an hour and 45 and that minutes. Didn't, and that didn't was. entertain you? I was entertained very muchly by podcasts. And McKenna Grace, she did a great job. It wasn't a Ghostbusters movie, though. It was, let's hang out with two 12 year olds. They were busting you know? ghosts, though. You didn't get all the feels. Ecto one's fucking roaring through the streets. One ghost. Yeah, and then they let him out so he could free him out. But that's because all their ghosts had to get escaped, and they uh, did. That's that's know. the whole thing. And then we got we got Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd did a great job. I I just personally Paul think Rudd that, was okay for what he was in it, you know. But it just half of the movie was was a bunch of little kids running around, and the other half was oh let's let's uh, do the same thing we did in Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, all over again. Let's bring back you know. Gozer, let's bring back. You know, let's let's get the gatekeeper and the key master. Well, that was back. that let's, was the tie-in. You had to. Tie I understand it in. that, but it just to me it felt like Netflix produced it because of the way it looked, and it felt like a fan film to me. Well, it well, felt like it was just like a like an hour. You know, I I know the fan films are only an hour long, and this was two hours long, so that's not what I mean. But it just like those hour long, like say Friday the Thirteenth fan films that we watched. It reminded me. This reminded me of those. Like no. in the way that they're done, we the can story. Ag- we can agree to disagree because it's not going to be able. To, I'm not going to really be able to give it in there for you. But right, personally speaking, and a lot of people also agreed with me that it was it was a very touching, good movie. And it was touching at the end. And I'm not saying it was terrible. Um, I just didn't think it was nearly as great as everybody else seemed to think that it was. I, I just um, like I liked the journey of it. I really did. I thought that it was nice to have a coming of age movie with these young actors who were actually very good at what they did, makes me hope that they bring them back for some kind of, not necessarily a direct sequel, but you know, I would like to see one of them involved as a Ghostbuster, or all of them, because I thought they did very good. And you know, I'd like to see where it goes from there. I mean, I really do think this opens up a franchise that was, let's be honest, dead for 30 years. Yeah. And, and the reason why it's so beloved is because there's a generation that are our age, or well, my age, I'm a little younger than you, but who grew up on the Ghostbusters. And right. also, I mean, there's a lot more touching for me because I am a New Yorker. And Ghostbusters is the quintessential New York movie. So, like, right. to me, one of the most touching scenes in the movie, and I'll, I'll give a spoiler alert, is when Ecto-1's going across the bridge. And we finally hear the Ghostbusters theme at the end of the fucking movie. Like, right. I love the fact that we didn't hear the Ghostbusters theme until the end. Because that, to me, was like, oh, shit, this is, you know... And, and, you know, it, it, it brought that, like, this is where we need to be, to me. But I can understand, like, not liking the drama about it, but I thought that the actors did a great job. I thought the young kids, like, getting into the story, I think it told a better backstory than a lot of the Ghostbusters movies did. You actually found out more about Gozer in this movie than you did in the first movie. Well, yeah. Because did they did that. their homework. Instead of me, like just like, being like, here's this being. And I did like the callbacks. Let's be honest. They're, everybody was on bated breath when Gozer asked fucking Ray again, are you a god? And Ray pauses and fucking you, you have you, you, you have Vakeman go, oh, come on. Yeah, right. And then he's like, well, and again, yeah. there was some good laughs in there. You know what? I laughed the hardest. was <laughs> Paul Rudd is the greatest. Uh, what was it? What did he teach? Science? Yes, he taught science. Or was it social studies? It, it was science. He taught <laughs> science. science. It was the greatest science teacher ever. <laughs> and they're, they're in summer. They're in summer school, right. and he says he pulls out the he pulls out the VCR and the TV. He's like, oh, I guess you guys haven't upgraded the uh, Blu-ray yet, but I found this VHS in the in the in the teachers' lounge, and I think you guys are gonna enjoy it. It's about a dog, and this dog is gonna get sick with rabies. <laughs> uh, the movie's called Cujo. I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the kids are watching fucking that Cujo. made me laugh but then like later on like 15 minutes later when they're <laughs> it shows them again and child's play is playing oh the second day child's play is playing yeah, yeah. Good stuff. That made me laugh. That's you know, what I'm there, saying. There, so there was, was stuff. There it wasn't was stuff throughout the movie. I, I get. I, I get not. It was, I get going. Wasn't, there wasn't a lot of ghost busting in this. There was a lot of backstory. But it, I really do believe that that backstory, when given a chance, does tell a great story. Because you got to remember, this is a family <clears> finding <throat> the grandfather that the kids never knew, and even the father, the daughter never knew. And, right. and that leads you to the end of the movie where you build all these emotions. And that's why I think the Ghostbusters, in my opinion, came in at the right time in that movie in the, in the end. Yeah. Because you needed that hero. And when they come in and then you get extra stuff that I definitely, if you've never seen it, I don't want to go into. It really does tie it home because as the viewer, my emotions were at an all-time high uh, seeing them come on the screen. I mean, when we watched that New York Comic Con, when the kids are in trouble there at the end, and all of a sudden, you hear Vankman like, hey, flat top. Everybody, I didn't even hear that line because everybody went nuts in the room. 7,000 people screaming and cheering because now our heroes are on the screen. So we didn't even hear that line. And Although later on, we did hear all of his lines about, you know, you know, you, we could have been a thing. But all you wanted to do was, was maim. Like you couldn't do it. Then he shoots down. He goes, ah, it was worth a shot. Yeah, it was it was an interesting. They were a very interesting dichotomy of of the Ghostbusters. Like I thought that they did a good job of being like not missing a beat for themselves, um, because Vankman was very much Peter Vankman. You know, yeah. the, you know Ray Stance, Dan Aykroyd jumped right back in that role. Winston jumped. They they jumped back into their roles like they had never stopped. Like it wasn't thirty years ago. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I guess it like, just it wasn't a Ghostbusters movie, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it should I have just it been called Afterlife. I thought it was great. I thought it was a good way to bridge the gap, and I'm looking forward to what they do in the future. Yeah, maybe in the future, if they if there is another one and it ties into this, and this was the opening of something else, maybe the next one will be better because there will be actually Ghostbusting going on in New York well, City. Yeah, that's the whole you know? point. So I think that something like that would be. But you, you have know, to tie it back in. There, like also right. there's a lot of uh, variables I thought that Jason <laughs> Raymond handled well. You know, you can't do that movie necessarily right away. We have a, a cast member that's dead, a major cast member. So we right. have to address that. How do we address that? How do we address why the Ghostbusters just went away for 30 years? You know what I mean? Like right. it was a kind of I thought that those questions were actually answered well. Like when they talk about the 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 New York phenomenon, the ghost phenomenon. That you know, that's what they they called the original when Gozer and everything happened, and then there was the other incident that they talk about, which of course is part two, and they didn't talk about that in depth, which is cool because I think that they'll use that in the future, but they did mention it, and then and then over the years when Ray's has that dialogue, Ray's dialogue says, well, Ghostbusting was great, but then we were you know, Vakeman said we were doing our job too well because then you know it went from you know a bunch of calls a week to you know ten, and then to five, and then to three. And right. and so basically it explains that they eradicated ghosts and were forgotten about. And it right. kind of in a way is the story of Ghostbusters. Because if you think about it, Ghostbusters as a movie has this iconic first movie and a decent second. Let's not, you know, I, I, I've always liked the second. I know it's a little off, but it's still good. But it has this iconic original movie that was groundbreaking, especially in it for its time. Right, And then you turn around and you have the sequel and then it's gone. And those of us who loved it had it near and dear and it's always been around, but it was gone. 
there's a generation and maybe even two generations that with the exception of hearing their parents talk about it or their uh, uncles and stuff talk about it, they didn't know what Ghostbusters really was. And then they came back with this reboot movie and the reason it failed because they couldn't nail the nostalgia. So people were like, that's not my Ghostbusters. That's not how the Ghostbusters was. So you had to find a way to go, okay, we need to move in the future because like I said, this is a franchise that needs to survive. And let's be honest, the character actors in this movie, they're old. Bill Murray's like 70. Yeah. And you know, in, in how, you know, 30 years ago, you know, was the last time he put on that uh, proton pack. I like how they were all talking about how they were heavier than they remember. I thought that was funny because think about it. They've, they're old men. So you yeah. have to you have to set up the new and if this does that and sets up the new generation of the Ghostbusters and we get new cool Ghostbuster movies out of it then I think that it did its job. All right. And I just want to point out Ernie Hudson who looked better than any of them. Yes. He's 76. He's the oldest I one. I know. I know. He's almost 80 years old. You know they say they say black don't crack, man, and they're not wrong. He looks amazing. By the way, when he called himself the sex appeal, it was even better. <laughs> I enjoyed that. But yeah, I I, I, I have to say I I thought that uh I, I thought that it was a good movie. Yeah. Well, like you said, agree to disagree. I didn't hate it. You know, it was, I was getting the middle of the road on it. So, but you know, all this because it's going to be available on Blu-ray and DVD on February 1st. There you go. <laughs> so, we do have some other news we got to get to here because we got a long show. So let's move on with that. Um, real quickly, we'll discuss Scream since we're going to be doing our, the, you know, the finale of Stabathon this week. Um, they are uh, tracking Scream. Now, this is just tracking. We don't know. It could be higher. It could be lower. They're tracking it to have an opening weekend here in the states at thirty-five to forty million dollars. Well, that's pretty good for pandemic world. Um, yeah. The initial reactions to this movie are very positive as well. So that is I, I'm looking forward. As am I. You know, when I finally do get to see it. So well, I'll uh, be seeing it this upcoming Thursday on premiere, uh, premiere preview night, whatever they call it these days. Uh, so I can't, I can't wait for, to see that. Um, I also want to throw out there, uh, I have not read any of the initial uh, uh reviews nor do i intend on reading any of the reviews i do want to warn our fans out there lately a lot of reviewers without warning have been putting spoilers in their reviews so if you do not want this movie spoiled i would suggest to stay away from all reviews until after you've seen the movie uh, unless you just read a brief synopsis or unless you have a reviewer that you trust and have read before uh me and you talked off air and i will say this you can't even trust the major ones. Variety, without without warning, spoiled Spider-Man No Way Home. And they also spoiled Eternals previous to that. So that's a major publication. And their reviewers spoiled both the week before they came out. So very carefully, be very leery of any review out there. Maybe read the score. Maybe read the little headline. I would not dive too deep into it, though, unless you have a reviewer you trust and know will not spoil the movie without warning. All right. And beware Twitter and Facebook as well, because people like to spoil things on those. And I will also forewarn everybody next week when we complete Stabathon with the Scream 2022 uh, review, there will be spoilers, but we have a warning. So you guys will be warned properly. We will do a brief spoiler free like we like to do with new movies, and then we will go right into spoilers. So there'll be a warning in between. Do not worry. That'll be next week, though. So. And that is exactly why I will not be part of that show. That is why we are actually not going to have Mike see part of that show, because I don't want to spoil the movie for him if he hasn't had a chance to see it. Right. 
we got some more news here this week. Morbius has been moved from January 29th to April 1st, so we backed that up because of the pandemic. Once again, once again moved. Uh, you know, once again, it's, it's, it's a Sony movie, and I haven't been impressed with Sony lately. Uh, some would argue because I did like Spider-Man No Way Home, but Spider-Man No Way Home was also written by Marvel uh, and just put out by Sony. So I, I don't know how I feel about Morbius. I mean, I as we all know, Jared Leto is one of my uh, man crush Hall of Famers. I, I do love me some Jared Leto, and he does look damn sexy with that shirt off when he's all healthy and stuff in this movie. But uh, so I'll be going to see it for mostly that reason. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this movie still. So. Or at least he tickles your fancy. Yes, so. exactly. At least I have something to look at. It's my candy, if you will. <laughs> uh, after one season, Amazon has canceled I Know What You Did Last Summer. And in other news, water is wet. Um, <laughs> whoever, Not who a I, good series. I don't, I don't know who thought since then. I, I told you before. I'm going to say it again. It literally reminded me of that MTV The Hills show. And then yeah. they just threw a killer in there. It had nothing to do with I Know What You Did Last Summer other than handwritten fucking notes. Like it was, it was a real like, yeah, no, no. They just tried to capitalize on something, you know. Horror is the popular genre again right now. We know this is making money. It's been viable, and this is what happens. Everybody comes out, and this is when it starts to get watered down. And unfortunately, this is when it starts to usually take the downfall. The reason why horror is never like on a good straight trajectory is because everybody likes to muddy the fucking waters, and this was one of those cases. Thankfully, Amazon pulled the plug, so it can't muddy the waters even further. Right. Yeah, I mean, this is the type of thing. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Um, did an interview within the last week or two and said that he hasn't done a horror movie since. I still know what you did last summer and that this year that's going to be changing. Um, you know, I, it, he didn't allude to it being another I know what you did last summer movie, but I would still like to see. They, they did make a third one that had nothing to do with their characters. Oh, yeah, it was um, like a ghost. It was a ghost of Ben Willis yeah. um, that was killing people at a ski resort or something. It yeah. wasn't good. And uh, they were originally supposed to make a third one, though. I, 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 I'll always know what you did last summer was supposed to include the, you know, the two main characters coming back along with Ben Willis. Um, I would still like to see that at some point because I am a fan of those two movies. So, Dude. you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing another one. And it's hot, you know, to bring those things back. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, I, I think it would be a good way to get Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr. back into the horror genre because we haven't seen them in over 20 years, you know, doing anything like that. So. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. I hope it does happen, but Mike no C. surprise here. This was a terrible series. Mike C., do you think they'll bring back Will Benson? Get it? Ben's son? Will Ben's son? Ben's son? son? No. Ben's son? No. Do you think they will? I, wait. Was he Ben's son? Yes. Will Benson. Get it? Will, will. Ben's son. Ben's son. Ben's son. Uh, that was the greatest reveal of right. all fucking time, wasn't it? <laughs> greatest reveal. Uh, yeah, top whatever. five. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything, anything else in the news, Mike? One last story to talk about. So, uh, kind of an underseen. There was. We obviously know that there was, uh, you know, a couple of slasher movies in the eighties. They, they made a few of them here and there. It seems. You know, just not uh, two, three, two, three, two or three. You know, tops. You know, throughout the the decade of the eighties. One of the underseen uh, movies that I have had a chance to see, and I wasn't a huge fan of it. Uh, it was called The Mutilator. Well, it is getting an official sequel, not a remake, not a reboot, an official sequel. It will star two of the original cast members. Also alongside them is going to be Damien Maffei, who was he's been in a couple of different things. He was in The Strangers Pray at Night. 
Uh, most recently, he uh, played the man in the mask in that. Uh, but it's also going to include a dear friend of the show, a one Terry Kaiser. That's right. We can have Bernie's himself, damn it. Um, yes. You know, I, I'm excited for this. Uh, if just for nothing alone, a friend of the show, Terry Kaiser, is going to be in it. We're going to support it and watch it. It may not be good, but at least we'll support and watch it, and we'll review it, obviously. Yes. It was a little bit different. Um, I don't know. I, I think you said you hadn't seen this before. I, I think it's, I have, but I, I, I'm i very foggy on it. Yeah. It was like uh, some friends go to a cabin, big surprise, and the father of one of them it, it, there's a there's a reveal early on like you know early on what's going to happen so it's not much of a spoiler yeah so it's I've a different this. kind of a slasher but i i have based, seen the movie before because the father is the killer correct yeah he's like running around killing people with like fishing equipment yeah and stuff. yeah i've seen this before yeah I, it, so, it was it was i mean it was let's be honest it wasn't a horrible movie but it was a your normal run-of-the-mill 80s slasher film yeah it was different yeah. You know, the way it plays out was was different and, and the same at the same time. Uh, the original writer and director, Buddy Cooper, is actually back to write and direct this sequel. No, oh, that's good news, though. At least it's getting so, the right good. It's in good hands. It's always nice when the creator jumps back in to do the sequel. Right. Then you don't have to worry about like shenanigans. Well, there would be shenanigans. All right. Mm, uh, There's maybe. always shenanigans. Maybe. Well, with that being said, that's going to end the Horror Zone news this week. If you would like to talk about anything we talked about here or would like to bring up something you would like us to review or talk about on the show or just to say hi, you can do that on social media. We're Horror Zone 607 on Facebook. Like and share the page. We're at Horror Zone 607 on Twitter and Instagram. Use the hashtag HZ607 whenever talking about the show. Of course, uh, you can go find all of our uh, stuff out on our very public website, 8122productions.com. Uh, while you're there, check out the Three Fat Nerds and 607TWS, as, long as, as well as Friends of the Show and Musical Acts that uh, help provide us with copyright-free music, and they're great bands to follow and uh, listen to on Spotify, Bandcamp, and YouTube Music. Uh, and also local sponsors and so on and so forth. All that and more. Plus, there's also links to the T Public store on 8122productions.com so you can support the show by buying some sweet swag. Also, the link to uh, the Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash 607podcast, where every Monday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, myself and Ken M from the ODPH podcast talk all things pro wrestling. Also, we do pay-per-views, uh, live reactions and commentary to that, and also uh, movie nights and so much more coming. We got a lot going on over there at twitch.tv slash 607podcast. Might as well go ahead to follow us and then uh, last but certainly not least over on the website and also I'm going to give you the link is the link to Patreon for as little as $1 a month you get a ton of extra bonus content at patreon.com slash 8122 productions support the show get Horror Zone early get it with some extra content and on top of all of that uh, three fat nerds and then extra shows it's it's a lot of good stuff over there at 8122productions.com and it also helps uh, us provide you everything we do here in the podcasting and streaming world and like I said, it's $1 and $3. That's the two tiers. We're not trying to break the bank, and we're trying to give you guys some extra and give back. So make sure you check us out over there at patreon.com slash 8122productions. Of course, before we get into the news, I do want to point out this is going to be an extra large show. So when we come back from the break, after Mike gives the question, we will be reviewing Scream 3, and then there's going to be a whole other break, and we'll be reviewing Scream 4. So stay in your seats. Hold on. You know you're going to want to, you, you know you want to see Stabathon play itself out till the end. But before we continue Stabathon all the way into Scream 2022, Mike C., you have your first of two Horror Zone movie trivia questions. That's right. Supersized show, supersized trivia this week. So uh, the first question that we're going to go with is going to be dealing with Scream 3, 
this week. So the question is, what was the name of Cotton Weary's successful talk show? One more time. What was the name of Cotton Weary's successful talk show? The answer coming up right after the break. Hey, this is Ken. Padawan J. Coach Tuffy from the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour Podcast, and you're listening to Rich and Mike on the Horror Zone 607 Podcast. Welcome back to The Zone. Before the break, I asked the first of two trivia questions this week. The question was, what was the name of Cotton Weary's successful talk show in Scream 3? As much do you know the answer? As much as I would like to make the joke, I will say this. I did, while I was, while I was out sick, I did watch these two movies in pre- preparation for the show. And uh, I would love to make like the Haley Mills show joke or something like that to, you know, keep it fresh. Or, you know, Cotton's dead, you know, play on Freddy's dead. However, the real answer is 100% Cotton. That is correct. That is correct, sir. Yes. Don't dry it, though, because it will shrink. Yes. Hi-oh. That is true. Oh. Well, with that being said, Stabathon continues on. And uh, our first of two reviews on this episode to bring us right into Scream 2022. Of course, that's why we've been going through the entire Scream franchise. And, of course, why wouldn't you call it Stabathon? Because... That is what the movies are called in the Scream universe. So let's talk about the third movie in the original trilogy, which it was only it was originally just a trilogy. Uh, obviously, we know that's no longer the case, but uh, the third movie in the trilogy came out on February 3rd of 2000. February, and that was in Westwood. That was the premiere. And then February 4th, 2000, everywhere else. Uh, the movie has a 117-minute runtime. It was produced by Conrad Pictures and Craven Madalena Films and distributed by Dimension Films. Uh, it was, of course, based on characters by Kevin Williamson. And it was written by Aaron Kruger and directed by the late, great Wes Craven. Uh, the producers of the film were Kathy Conrad, Kevin Williamson, and Marianne Mandalina. Uh, cinematography was done by Peter Deming, and it was edited by Patrick Lucier, and the music, again, by Marco Beltrami. Uh, so if you keep in track, he has done the music on all of the Scream films up until this point. 
Uh, the cast, once again, let's be honest, this is a gigantic cast, but we're going to go through the ones in order. David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox Arquette. That's right, Courtney Cox Arquette for this film. Patrick Dempsey, Scott Foley, Lance Henriksen, Matt Kessler, Jenny McCarthy, Emily Mortimer, Parker Posey, Dion Richmond, Patrick Warburton, and many, many more. Uh, Scream 3 had a budget of $40 million, Mike C. And I know you have it in front of you, so I'm not even going to ask. The box office was $161.8 million. Three times its money back in the box office. Yeah, four times. Four times, yeah. Yeah, fucking sick. And you know, wonder why there was always sequels, baby. Uh, so, with that being said, Scream 3 was the third installment of the Scream franchise. As a matter of three years off, but two. Remember, the first yep. movie comes out in 96. The sequel comes out the year later in 1997. Literally, almost to the day a year later. Yep. And then Scream 3 comes out three years plus, because this is February. The other two movies came out in December, correct? Uh, that is correct. So, this one came out in February. Uh, so, a little over three years to the day. I mean... You know, 20 years ago, like, thinking back 20 years, it doesn't feel like it was that long in between. I feel like they were, like, all one year apart. Yeah, That's but they weren't. how my memory remembers it. But, but they weren't. They're, this one was... A, nope. There was a three-year break. But, cool part about that three-year break, it gave us a little bit of different storyline because now Nev Campbell's no longer in college. Now, you know, Dewey and, uh, of course, Gail Weathers have now become married. And, of course, in real life... Uh, David Arquette and Courtney Cox, now Courtney Cox Arquette, according to that as well, are married in real life. As we've talked about in the past, it very much mirrors their relationship in real life. And then, uh, of course, you know, we you know we get introduced to some new characters because where Stabathon really comes in is the Stab movies have taken the fuck off, have they not, Mike C? They really have. And... Um... You know, this this movie is a lot of things, and we'll talk about the good and the bad with it. Um, but, you know, basically the whole movie just, you know, takes place at, uh, was it, Sunrise Studios? Yes, it's Sunrise <laughs> Studios. And, uh, you know, there's a... I love how it, like, life imitates art imitating life. You know, I, I love how that happens in, in these films. And, um, you know, there's, like you said, you know, like you got everything that was really going on in the real lives of the Arquettes there and, you know, whatnot, you know, is taking place. But I, I, I just, I, I love the setting of this movie. I really do. It was a little bit goofy. You know, this one was definitely campier than the other ones. I mean, but, hell, uh, we have a cameo by Jay and Silent Bob in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Connie Chung. Hey, hey it's that bitch Connie Chung. <laughs> but yeah, you know, um, well, this movie picks back up. Uh, of course, uh, basically, our, our lead character, of Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, is in hiding, pretty much. She's working as a as a counselor over the phone. Yes. From her house, which is in an undisclosed location, very much leads secure and in the middle of fucking nowhere. And uh, it does not take us long to get back into the, 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 the swing of things as our lovable killer. Uh, well, first of all, we get the Cotton Weary stuff. Let's, let's go into it. This movie opens up. Cotton Weary is a very successful talk show host. He gets a, He's on his way home from filming to his wonderful wife in his beautiful house. And he gets a phone call from her. Only it's not his wife. It then morphs into a very familiar voice. So once he comes home, he knows that Ghostface is in the house. 
and uh, you know, Ghostface uh, finally does what uh, Sidney Prescott couldn't, and that's kill Cotton Weary. Yes, and, that is correct. And his girlfriend, which and his he girlfriend. messes with her too. He's got this new voice system where he can actually use people's voices. Yes, that's not just we, the Ghostface voice. We it's, find it he out. Can change it. Yeah, that was the. That's why I said he thought he was talking to his girlfriend. Next thing you know, but she thinks that she's talking to cop. Yeah. Too. She thinks, yeah, it's a weird scenario. Like, and he's because and he's messing with both of them pretty much at the same time. Yes. So then, uh, you know, we jump right in the movie. There, the reason though, I thought this was always cool because, like I said, we, this is why we skip around and we don't go in order and we kind of do our own thing for positive and negatives. Because one of the coolest things about this movie is the nice part about this is it's telling that that the character who is going after Sydney does not know where Sydney is. The reason. He goes after Cotton is to try to find out where Sydney is. That is the right. whole underlying reason. We find this out later in the film. Also, he breaks in and steals files from the Woodsboro police that uh, former former sheriff, or no, former deputy, sorry, because he wasn't a sheriff yet. Former deputy turned bodyguard to the stars, <laughs> Dewey. Has actually stolen them first. Because we find out when he meets up with Gail that, <clears throat> that no, of course she's safe. I stole the files. Right. So they couldn't get a hold of it. But then we get Ghostface calling Sydney. So that was the one real big first loophole. It's like, well, they fucking saladed it up that, you know, Khan wouldn't know where she is because they didn't have that kind of relationship. And Dewey stole the files. So how the hell did he find where Sydney was? And later on in the movie, it does actually, it's always called as a plot hole, but think about it. Later in the movie, it's explained. It's because the killer is now cloning cell phones and he actually just clones Dewey's cell phone. Right. So that's actually how he got the information. He didn't know where she was. He just knew the number to call her. And that scared her enough out of hiding. Because remember, she shows up out of nowhere on the set of, is this stab three in the movie? Uh, There's a staff force. I don't remember if it has a number because remember it's, it's called return three. because it's called return to Woodsboro is yeah, the underlying staff three. because remember they have the setup for uh, Stu's house and everything because they're returning to Woodsboro, house, yeah. which is a really cool scene in the middle of the movie. Yes, yes, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, so now we have actors who are playing different people from the real life Woodsboro murders, including uh, we have Parker Posey who plays Gail Weathers. Very yes. well. Very, actually, yes. she's one of my favorite parts of this movie. I'm going to throw it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Jenny McCarthy, who is a friend of everybody. We have uh, Kelly Rutherford, who is uh, in the cast as well. And then, of course, Emily Mortimer playing Angelina Tyler, who is actually playing Sidney Prescott right. in the movie. And uh, the fun part about this movie is that this is like, you know, we've been giving out little notes and stuff over the over the time of us giving these reviews. Originally, Emily Mortimer was supposed to be one of the killers. That is correct. It was supposed to be her and the eventually revealed killer of, of Roman. Correct. They were supposed to be killing together. But they asked that for whatever reason, no reason actually really ever given, and decided to go to do the one thing, this is the first time in the movie history, and go with one killer. Yeah. Which was, you know, to this day, you know, that's that's the only time that it's happened in any of these movies, throughout the first four anyway. It was uh, always a double, uh, double killers. 
But we go through all this, and I want to I want to let you shine here in the bright spot because we as we go through, like I said, we're going to jump all over the place, giving our goods and negatives. Uh, the, but after this is all in, we do get these really cool scenes with Nev Campbell playing like the real Sydney in the fake houses, including her own house, and uh, with the killer. And I, I think that you really like these scenes, so go ahead and dive into it. Yeah, so they are really cool. Um, you know, she she's wandering around the set and she comes across what looks like her house, the staircase going up to her bedroom and then her bedroom. Um, and then she stumbles out into what looks like her parents' bedroom, which you never see in the original screen, but you see a body bag on the floor, which is supposed to be her mother. And that's where Ghostface attacks her. Uh, and you know, you got her running around in what looks like the same house as her house, you know, from the original movie. So there was a good, uh, kind of throwback to the original movie in there. Um, she eventually gets out of the, the set that looks like her house and she looks up and she sees what looks like the exterior of Stu's house. So, you know, you had some really cool scenes there where it kind of goes back to the original movie. Uh, I've always enjoyed those scenes. I, that, that scene in particular, that, that was a really, really cool scene. No, I agree with you. I really, I'm, I was a fan of like a lot of the psychological stuff here. Um, going, going from there though, we get a, we basically, we, the story of this movie is finding out that Maureen Prescott, the mother of Sydney, uh, was originally an actress. Nobody knew this. She was an actress in Hollywood who had been taken advantage of by John Milton, who's the producer of the Stab movies, played by the uh, the the legendary Lance Henriksen. Uncle Lance. That's right. Uh, and so nobody knew these things. And in the middle of this was one of my favorite parts. We get to meet, uh, and she's definitely classic for those of us who are coming of age movies and stuff who are my age. Uh, Heather Matazaro, who plays Martha Meeks. Of course, Randy Meeks' sister, who shows up on set with a videotape from Jamie Kennedy's Randy Meek. So Randy does make an appearance in, sta- in Scream 3, even though he died in Scream 2. And it's one of my favorite parts because the video literally is uh, opens with him saying, well, obviously, if you're watching this, this means I didn't make it past the Windsor College murders. And then he was like, so it was a mistake for me to lose my virginity to Karen. I can't remember what her last name right. is. In the back <laughs> of the video star. And then all of a sudden you hear... Uh, Dewey's like Karen. I, he's like, no, yeah, I know what you're thinking. Stop it, stop it. She's a very nice girl. Shut up. You shut up. She's a very <laughs> nice girl. And it was kind of funny that it was kind of almost like interacting. And of course, he then goes into if uh, you know, obviously this could be another sequel, so the same rules apply. But this could also be if you find yourself in the mix of a storyline you didn't know about. This is not a, tr- a sequel. This is the final chapter of a trilogy. And that means all rules are off. And that means I'm sorry, Sydney. Even you can die. And it was kind of that really kind of interesting perspective because he's been always our voice through these movies. And he's going into now what a trilogy is and the forewarnings of what they should be looking out for. And it's almost mirroring what's happening in the movie. So I thought that was a very cool way to do it. I agree. Uh, I definitely agree with that. That was, it was a touching scene as much as it was a funny scene. Um, Cause you know, it's kind of like a final goodbye to, to Randy, you know, kind of makes him sad yes. a little bit. Um, but you know, throughout that movie, I actually thought because they went out of their way to point that out, I expected one of the three remaining legacy characters to go throughout that film by the end of it. Yeah. You know what though? I think that was a good mind fuck. I'm it just going to throw that out there. 
Um, I also want to point out that in the meantime, we have the two Gales, real Gale and actress Gale, uh, teaming <laughs> right. up to find out more about Maureen Prescott. And that brings them to the studio archives where we get my personal favorite cameo of all time. The, the person behind the desk is a, is a woman named Bianca who has a stunning, <laughs> stunning resemblance to one Princess Leia. Of course, it's because it is played by the late, great Carrie Fisher. And they even go, aren't you Carrie Fisher? She's like, nope. So good, though. So Such a good nod and tongue-in-cheek. And I love the fact that we got Carrie Fisher. Yeah, and I like how she kind of, like, snaps back uh, in that moment where they, like, think she's Carrie Fisher. And she, uh, Parker Posey's like, ah, stage name. <laughs> and Carrie Fisher responds with, yeah, you're one to talk, Jerdy Jergenstein. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> it is It so, is a really cool, yeah. It was. You know, as campy as the movie is, there were some really great lines, and a lot of them revolved around Parker Posey. Oh, Parker Posey was great in this movie. I'm sorry. She really was. Um, we have a lot of cool action. We have a lot of cool murders. Uh, we have one of our very few ghost face kills that is not with a knife as he blows up one of the actors in a in a house that he set up with uh, gas, left the gas on and lights a lighter and boom, there goes the house. Right, that's Parker Posey's house too. Yes, it is so, Parker Posey's house. Yeah. Um, of course, we got the bodyguard who gets diced up because he thinks he's talking to Dewey and he's not. <laughs> right, um, Patrick Warburton plays that, another good... Uh, you know, he was he was hot at the time. He's still pretty oh, yeah. popular, but he was hot coming off of Seinfeld at that point. Oh, yeah. It was a great job. And then, of course, I, I want to throw out there, this movie does something that's interesting because we all know, like I said, there's no spoilers. We all know this movie. The killer of this movie is Roman, the director. Roman ends right. up dead halfway through this movie. Yes. Or so we think, which I thought was a really cool gimmick. Because it kind of throws you off because here's the thing. And my biggest gripe about this movie is let's jump to the end. Because really, this movie is 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 a normal screen movie in a way. A lot of kills, a lot of knife action up close. We know Ghostface preserves the you know up close action. Yeah, we until the end. Until the end. All of a sudden he has a fucking gun. <laughs> All of a sudden he's got a gun in every movie. Um, but with the reveal of Roman, first of all, I'm like, okay, well. Roman was dead earlier, so this is cool that they faked his death to bring him back later. But then we get the the realization that when uh, John Milton and his friends had their way with Maureen Prescott, she became pregnant and had a son that came up for adoption that at no fucking time comes up until this end piece. And that son was Roman. So Roman convinced Billy Loomis to kill Maureen he brought Stu in on it under the guise of Roman because he said he needed a patsy. Then they went into business for themselves and did the other murders. And then his mother, of course, was the killer in the sequel. So we don't know how much Roman really had a part in any of that because I don't think he did. Really, all he had a part in was the killing of Maureen Scott. And then he hated the fact that his sister, not him, even though he was a director, but his sister had more fame than he did. That is really his reasoning to try to kill his sister. It's a weird, convoluted... And and even when he's doing his whole killer dialogue for it, I'm just like, this is convoluted as fuck. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, because I'm one of the people that over the last 20 years has really defended this movie and especially this ending because I think that it does tie the, the trilogy together really well as to why everything's been going on. But, you know, it is kind of stupid. You know, why is he trying to kill her? Because she got more fame than him? Okay, that's stupid. You know, it, it, the rest of it makes sense, though. You know, he wanted to kill off his mother for the way that he was treated. Right, I get know? that part. See, if they just stuck with that, I'd be fine. Right. And But the whole fact that he's like, now I'm going to kill you because you're more famous than I am. That was right. the weird fucking part about it. And so, you know, <clears throat> you know, we get this whole fight scene between the two of them. They both think alike, so they both have fucking bulletproof vests on. And of course, she fuck you know she he you know she stabs him through it and pretty good. You know they have this moment where they bond. It's like almost like that killing of Michael Myers in Resurrection, or I'm mean, sorry, not Michael Myers. H two O. No, no, no. Well, H two O too, but the killing of um, Laurie Strode in Resurrection, where before oh, yeah. she goes, remember they have that hold hand moment, right. It, and it was really weird because they have that moment in this movie. And then, of course, he jumps back up and shoots him in the fucking head. Well, that was Resurrection or uh, H2O where that happened. Well, they had no, they did it in both, though. Because remember, yeah. right before right before she well, dies, she kisses him. right? No, she right before they, they were holding hands, though. And she pulls herself up and kisses him right before she falls. They weren't holding hands. She went up to grab his mask off and he grabbed her hand and threw her off the top of the. I'm pretty sure they were holding hands. I'm pretty sure when yeah. she stab when he stabs her when they're hanging over, she went over and then they were hanging there. Yeah, they're hanging he there. Stabs he stabs her. Him. I swear that they had held hands, but whatever. No, you're thinking of you're thinking of you're confusing it with H2O. Um, that scene happens when Michael goes off the like she drives him off the cliff there. And yeah, in between the and then the maybe she reaches the out car. and and then yeah. they don't quite because she pulls back because she thinks she's tricking him and chops his head off later on to right. find out it's a paramedic. Anyways, it, it's convoluted. I'm just saying this is another one of those scenes where they somehow have this bond. Right. You know, it's and there is a lot of similarities with this movie and Halloween H2O. By the way, they were actually filmed in the same location. Uh, some of it, the the big final act in Scream 3 that takes place in that mansion, Milton's mansion. Um, that's the same location. As Halloween school. H2O was filmed. In. Yeah, yeah, it's the same place. If you actually pay attention to it, you can actually tell that they're in the same hallways and everything. So, um, which makes sense because, you know, Kevin Williamson was kind of involved with, with both. Well, H2O is still a great movie. This a little is, less than this, but. Believe it or not, this movie is not the worst either. I'm just saying that is the only big, it's the biggest plot hole in this movie that bothered me. It was just that ending. It made, it doesn't, and I understand you've defended it for a long time. You've even defended it to me, but it's like, I'm with the whole Maureen Scott setup. But then Prescott. you kind of find out, or Prescott, why did I say Scott? Anyways, uh, so I'm with the whole Maureen Prescott setup, but I'm where it gets like muddied is because he even t- even talks about like Billy and them went in f- on their own, like they went off on their own. Right. After that. He had nothing to do with what actually happened to Sydney. Also, he had nothing to do with the sequel movie because right. that was Revenge of really a Mother. Much they of don't that. really mention it, but he kind of you 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 see how he doesn't have anything to do with it. But then all of a sudden he's like, now this movie's taken off. You're more famous than me. This is bullshit. And he's just jealous. It's like a jealous rage. And it's it's a really weird... I just thought it was really weird. I thought that if the higher ground... I thought it would have been a little better if the higher ground was, yes, I killed mom, and now I'm killing you because you had the life I wanted. But the life... And that, that's kind of what he says, but the life he wanted is the fame. It had nothing to do with the fact that she was raised by their mother. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? 
Like it, I think it would I be think more that of it a was. sense. I mean, I didn't take it that way. I took it as though he, you know, the mother loved her more and, and sent him packing when he showed up at the door. So he was jealous and upset that he didn't get to have that good life. He was raised in Hollywood, which was corrupt. And, and yeah. So then we could have done without dangerous. the fame line then. Cause he does point out that she's more famous than him and he can't stand that. Yeah. Like you through all of this became more famous than me. Yeah. And I should be the one with fame. I'm the one that put in the work. I'm the one that's a direct, you know, like he's very animate about all of these things. It's really strange. You know, ironically know. enough, not to get too far ahead of ourselves with this, but it's kind of a similar motive for what happens in Scream 4. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely talk about that. We'll tie and that in like when that we get there. 4. I don't mind it in this one as much, but I didn't care for that in, in Scream 4. Which is kind of weird that you didn't like it in one, but didn't like it. But then again, you're going to, as you're going to find out, it's kind of the same with me. It's weird. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Right. Let's not too jump ahead. That's the final segment. We got a whole other movie to review. Uh, is there any other positives that you would like to talk about for Scream 3? We'll start with positives. We'll blanket with the with all of the positives, and then we'll go to the negatives before we give the scores around the internet. Um, I mean, again, I, I really enjoy the way that they tie it together with the first movie and, like, you know, up to that point, what made everything happen. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's it, it's definitely they're they're all full of comedy. This one is more comical than the other ones. Like I said, this one is definitely campier than the other ones. Which, in a way, like I, I enjoy the comedy in it, but at the same time, I also think it was a deterrent in it. Um, it was just too campy, and it was kind of a weird feel. And there was a reason for that. Um, the whole thing with Columbine happened not long before you know, when, when this was going to go into production and it kind of threw everything off where they were really going to go with this. The original Scream 3 was going to be a completely different movie. Um, so, you know, it kind of screwed up everything when that happened. Uh, and this is what we ended up getting because of it. They did want to go with something more comical instead of something so serious and dark. Um, but, you know, overall, I mean, yeah, it's it's a funny movie. It ties everything together. And, you know, I, I don't have a lot of problems. I, I really, really love that scene where Sydney ends up in quote Woodsboro or as the professor would say Haley Mills absolutely um I don't know I I have I've always had mixed mixed feelings about like like for my positives it is a screen movie at the end of the day uh you, you have a lot of cool action spots uh the comedy whether campy or not is still very good uh like I said we we went over a lot of what I liked already my big negatives I did not like the end reveal and also, I will be honest, this is the first Scream movie where they got a little lazy on the kills. There's a couple kills yeah. in this movie where you're just like, that doesn't fit the mold of what you've set up in the previous two films. The previous two films, and I'm not saying all of them were over the top, but they either made a lot of sense or they were very grandiose. You know what I mean? So like either, right. you know, there was a reason why it was killed like this. And then the ones that there wasn't a really a cool reason for they were the ones that were the brutal or over-the-top ones. This movie has a few off-screen kills, which really confuses you in the end of the film because in the off-screen kills, you had the fake death, which is fine. I get it. But then you have a couple other people, which we think Dewey's met his end at one point in Juncture, and he hasn't, which that is in every right. movie, let's be honest. But the way that they cut it, because even like the, uh, the character Sarah that's played by uh, Jenny McCarthy, her death is kind of a strange death. Like, I, I like the cat and mouse stalking of it, but we don't really see her die, per se, until later on when we discover the body. 
Oh, no, you see her die. He stabs her several times and then throws her through a glass window. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but you don't... Basically impales but her you, on the glass I, I, Yes, but it's not like... But it's not like in the past where it's it's really weird. I don't know. And here's... I'm going to kind of go off of that. You know, here's the one thing that never really made sense to me with this. Why is he killing off the cast of his movie? What What... You know, Sydney has no connection to any of those people. She has a connection to Cotton. Gail, Dewey. Why? She has no connection to these people. So so what if he's killing off the people that are in the movie about her life? Like, I, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense why he's killing off. Well, here's the thing. At know, first, I got it because it was to draw her out of hiding. But then, right. then she's out of hiding. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. Right, right, right. That's my point. I don't get it. I'm with you. I don't get it after that. I get like the initial, like, okay, draw her out of hiding. But then she's out of hiding. But still, why would that draw her out of hiding? That would make her hide even more if she finds out that people are getting killed on the set of this movie. Like, yeah. I would hide even more. Honestly, though, movie. no, because we're talking Sydney Prescott. Sydney Prescott is the strong women hero of these movies. Let's be honest. She's always gone in headstrong, she's never thought about herself before others so it did actually make sense honestly because think about it all these yeah. movies she has put herself in harm's way when she could have just left because of her friends or other people dying because there's other people that she didn't really know who have died in the other films but that helped her come out to the forefront i think being that strong hero heroine if you will i think that 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 was what was played upon by roman knowing that his sister would do that my, that's my personal opinion. So I have no re I have no problem with that drawing her out of hiding because I think to stop deaths, especially after he called and said it was her fault, I think that that would have drawn her out of hiding. But I will say this: I'm with you here. I, after she's out of hiding, why aren't you going after her and the people that she knows and loves? Because they're there, right? Instead of these cast and crew members that don't fucking matter. Because at that right. point, juncture all these cast and crew members that die don't actually matter. You know? Does that make sense? Because you know, now got, Sydney's out of hiding. You got a wounded Dewey who magically loses his limp in the next 11 years when they get to Scream 4. <laughs> but you got a wounded, you know, gimpy Dewey who's right there front and center who's distracted by everything that's going on. And you got Gail who's kind of hapless in this. You know, she's just kind of, she's there. She's trying to solve the mystery and everything, but she's kind of distracted by everything. They're the two people that I would think that if he was going to go after anybody, they would have been, per they were right there. Yeah. After she's, after she's out of hiding. Anytime he wanted. Right. After yeah. she's out he of hiding. Before. Yep. After she's out of hiding. And even, even Kincaid, the cop, because of course she's a little soft on Kincaid. Yeah. So then you could go after him because she's a soft on him. Right. That's what I would have done. He was more of a red herring though, uh, throughout the movie. Yeah. But she also, he also he plays that. Maybe him. There, you also got to remember Patrick Dempsey because he's a sexy looking man is also the, the, you know, and he was, you know, at that time, you know, he's McDreamy. He's McDreamy. So, so like you got to remember he's, he's going to be the guy that was the love interest a little bit too. Yes. He was the red herring, but he's also the love interest. So you could have gone after him because she was soft on him. Am I wrong? Right. So, she was, but again, I think that he was playing the red herring right up until like the reveal. He shows up at the, party and you don't know if it's him or not so i think oh, that's yeah, why agree. they kept him around i also agree with that i agree with that completely but i also like it, when that happens he also tries to eliminate him because he's obviously the strongest so i did like that part that was good psychology because after rome after it's revealed that he's not the killer the killer tries to take him out 
Because right. think about it. You would take out the strongest, wouldn't you? Dewey's limping around and barely a fucking alive. <laughs> so isn't Gale. So, anyways, with that being said, let's get ready to give our scores. Before we give our scores, let's talk about the scores around the internet. IMDb gave this a 5.6 out of 10. Voodoo has this as a 4.1 out of 5. Rotten Tomatoes combined score has this at a 41%. And Google users, 87% of them liked Scream 3. I'll go first. In keeping with the normal, I don't think that this is the best movie in the franchise. As a matter of fact, I argue that this is probably the worst movie in the franchise. I know you don't agree with me there. But with that being said, I also think that this movie's not god awful. I actually give this I gave the original an eight and a half out of ten. I gave the sequel, I do believe, a seven and a half out of ten. Because both are very good. I gave this movie a six out of ten. Still find it better than average. It is a good movie. Some of the plot stuff that some people get tripped up on, I don't get tripped up on. But I do have to say, I do not like the reveal of a character that we formerly didn't know. And then have this big grandiose fucking storyline for him. That part, you know, we I think that they should have dropped hints through the other two movies if this was the plan all along. That's just my opinion. You know, and for my score, I'm actually as much as we disagree about certain parts of this movie, I I, I give it a six and a half out of ten. Yeah, so we're close. Uh, so six point five out of ten for me. So we're we're pretty close in in how we view it overall as a whole. Um, there's just different things that we like and dislike about it. But you know, it's nice to know that overall we we pretty yeah. much agree on. We definitely tie the bow on it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I do also want to point out that the original ending of Scream Two was supposed to feature Ghostface staring down as the camera panned out from Nev Campbell. It was supposed to feature Ghostface staring off of the school bell tower. Oh, so that would have been the first. That. Yeah, that would have been the first time technically we saw Roman because that's who that would have been. So after the, if you remember at the end of the Windsor College one and she comes outside and like everything's going on, the camera kind of pans back right. into the final. It goes past the school bell tower. Originally, go, somebody in the ghost face costume, which would have been Roman, was going to be seen staring down towards where we just cascaded from. Right. So okay. we would have actually technically seen Roman at the end of Scream 2. Okay. Implying the third movie, but that got taken out and I'm not quite sure why, but that is something that actually was in the ending of Scream 2. I also just read something kind of uh, cool about this, that three minute scene with Randy, <laughs> three hours of, of uh, film. Yeah. <laughs> For that. And condensed it down to that. Damn, damn, so. damn that Jamie Kennedy is what that really is. Uh, so without being- over two hours of footage was filmed, excuse me. Well, with that being said, that is our opinions on Scream 3. We have one more review to do this episode, so don't go anywhere. There's one more break. I mean, you could split it up if you have to. I know it's an extra long episode, but trust me, you want to get through all the Stabathon. But before we take that last break and come back with our rev- with our review of Scream 4, Mike C., I believe you have one more Horror Zone trivia question. I sure do. And this one is going to be pertaining to Scream 4. So here goes. In Scream 4, Anthony and Anderson plays a sheriff's deputy. What is his name? One more time, in Scream 4, Anthony Anderson plays a sheriff's deputy. What is his name? And I'll give you a little hint. 
you know, I can see a nodding through the phone here. Maybe you already know this one, but uh, it's a nod to uh, to a legendary horror star. So we'll give you that little hint here, and we'll be right back after the final break with the answer to that question. Hey, it's Courtney Gaines, Malachi from Children of the Core, and you're listening to Horror Zone 607. Welcome back to The Zone. Before our final break this week, I asked the second of two trivia questions. The question was, in Scream 4, Anthony Anderson plays a sheriff's deputy. What is his name? Of course, the fact that it's Anthony Anderson is even better is the answer is Deputy Perkins. Yes, Anthony Perkins. Perkins. Anthony Perkins. Of course, that is a nice tease to Psycho in The Killer of the Yes, Anthony Perkins who played Norman Bates. Of course, of course, Psycho, the original slab, the granddaddy of them all, pretty much, given a nod there That's because right. of uh, this being a slasher film. Let's be honest. So, as we continue Stabathon on our way to Scream 2022, which will be next week, we have one more movie on the way on the road, and that, of course, is Scream 4. And they took 11 years off. <laughs> Because we they did. remember 2000 was when Scream 3 came out. The release date, April 11th, 2011 at the TCL Chinese Theater, April 15th, 2011, everywhere else in the U.S. for Scream 4. Has a runtime of 111 minutes. It is produced by Corvus Corax Productions, Outer Banks Entertainment, The Weinstein Company, Dimension Films. It is based on characters by Kevin Williamson. This movie is now again written by Kevin Williamson. To be to throw that out there, remember Kevin Williamson did not write the last movie. Uh, he did and he didn't. Well, he wrote a draft, but he is not credited as the writer of the last movie. He's he not credited, but he had more to do with it than Aaron Kruger, from what I've read over the years. Right, but still, he's not credited. This movie, he is fully credited again as the writer of the film. Correct. Corrected, of course, by the late great Wes Craven, and it was produced by Wes Craven, Aya Labanka, and Kevin Williamson. Cinematography once again by Peter Deming. Edited by Peter McNulty. And once again, back at the music is Marco Beltrami, who has done, as you keep in count, the music for all four Scream movies. Stars of this movie include David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox. Mind you, not Courtney Cox Arquette anymore. Courtney Cox. 
Emma Roberts, Hayden Penetier, Anthony Anderson, Allison Bree, Adam Brody, Rory Calklin, Mariel Jaffe, Eric Knudsen, Mary McDonald, Marley Shelton, Nico Tortorelli, and so many more. This movie had a budget of $40 million, and it made $97.2 million in the box office, so technically it was a success. Correct. It didn't make as much as the other films, which is what they were upset about, but technically this movie made back double its money and then some. Correct. So Scream 4 is a whole other generation of the Scream films, and now we are 11 years removed from Scream 3. Which was supposed to be a trilogy. Now with the fourth movie, they dipped their toes back in the water. Now, I want to point this out before we get started on this movie. In 2011, horror wasn't exactly the in vogue thing at the time. We had some movies come out that were pretty decent, but this is the era of the failed Friday the 13th and failed Nightmare on Elm Street reboots. Now, mind you, Friday the 13th, the Friday the 13th remake... I, I, I did actually like. I've told that to people before. And it was pretty successful. I right. think both were fairly successful. But they but. also were failures because they did not reboot the series because they Correct. didn't make enough money. That's my point. My point is, yes, in on paper, they both made money. Just like this movie, on paper, made money. But it did not make enough to reboot either of those series. And this was the same case. We are actually two years removed from... One of the bigger horror renaissances, again, with, uh, you know, things coming out that were, you know, where were Cabin in the Woods was coming out very shortly after this. Um, then you had, you know, the Conjuring movies first started up. There was a little bit, of, but it, obviously a different tone, a more original tone, if you will. Does that sound correct? Yeah. This was towards a, in my opinion, a failed retcon of everything. Like, this was in an era where they were trying to bring back things from the 80s, or 90s in this case, and it just didn't work. Do you have a reason, do you think, before we jump into this movie in itself, do you have a reason why you think that that didn't work in this in this 2009 to 2011 era, if we're remembering correctly? Um, I think there was a couple of reasons for it. Um, one, you know, like you just said, I mean, it was kind of like a down era for horror. You know, it wasn't really hot. I, I think that from like 2013 on, it started picking up again. Things like Evil Dead kind of like started bringing yeah. it back. Um, two, you know, again, one of the reasons why I don't think that we're seeing Scream 5 in the title of the new movie is, you know, people were like, oh, really? We're going to do this again? So I think that there was some fatigue there on, you know, oh, man, another sequel. This is the, what the fourth one? Really? You know, traditionally, sequels have not done as well. The, the more sequels you make, the less successful they are, you know? So I think that that played a role in it. And, you know, when we get to the positives and negatives of this, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out there right now. This movie felt like it was on, to me, this movie always felt like it was unnecessary. You know, I, I don't hate the movie by any means. And, you know, when I get to the score of it, you know, the score is going to be pretty decent, but I just, I've always felt like this movie didn't really, it didn't make sense to make it. Yeah, and again, there was supposed to be a new. It was supposed to be the first of a new trilogy, so we don't know what they were thinking and where they were going to go with it. Whatever happened is scrapped, and I don't think we're going to be seeing any of that in the new one that's coming out. Whatever the idea was, I don't think that's going to be in the new one. But you know, maybe it would have made more sense if it had been the first in a trilogy. But I just didn't feel like it really made sense to even make this movie. You know, it what? Just... I'm going to completely agree with you. 
I and, wow. and, and it's going to be a weird thing when we get to the the to, to the scores as well. I I also was this was a movie that came out of nowhere. This is a movie that really nobody was talking about. Nobody wanted. We thought we had a trilogy and it was over. You know, we thought we had a pretty damn good trilogy and it was over. And it was a really weird time because we had seen already, like I said, on paper, they they all made money. But did Friday the 13th spawn a new franchise? No. Did the re, the remake of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street spawn? No. So it was almost like we're going to go back to the well one more time to try to restart a franchise when the last two failed miserably as far as what they were meant and intended to do. Did they make a little bit of money? Yeah, but overall, it left such a bad taste in people's mouths that they knew they couldn't make a sequel, right? Right. That's, I think, really where it was. And then this movie came out. So I think that a lot of people's hatred of this movie, and when we go through it, is based upon the fact that they already had that bad taste in their mouth. So they instantly went, okay, we're going to lump this in with the other two. So I think they do that unfairly. Right. And I think that's where our scores, because I think me and you have a similar opinion on this film, are going to reflect that, which is, is it's weird. But let's dive into this movie. And I will say this. The one thing and one cool thing about Scream 4 right up front is that this movie goes back and does what the original did, and it goes completely fucking meta. Yeah. This movie opens making fun of film franchises that do too much by having the 15 different, it's not really 15, but the 15 different, yeah, there's seven different fake stab openings all the way up to like stab 14 or some wild shit. Like basically in the world of Scream, stab has now just come out every year like a soft film. And that is what they're kind of making fun of. Remember, like in the one of the right. last ones, both of them are the killer and they're stabbing each other. Right, <laughs> like it's it's really a weird like it's it, I thought it was very tongue in cheek and I did I did appreciate that because the original was built on that meta we're gonna make fun of horror movie tropes right and they kind of got away and I mean in a way they paid homage to it through the other two films but let's be honest they kind of got away from it and got into their own film world which is fine all of a sudden we're setting the tone right away in for that yeah we're gonna make fun of those tropes again. Right. And, and I did, I, that's one of the things that I want to say right up front, because it is in the beginning, that I actually did really actually thought was a positive for this film, that we really, really were going back to the original. Also, I want to point out that this movie, up until the finish of this movie even, did, did the best in the series, like the first, to bring you back to the whodunit. Like, yeah. I'm not saying the other ones didn't have that element, but this one really... I don't think I was nailing down who the killer was in this movie until towards the end of the movie. Like I had my uh, ideas, but there's even a part of this movie where they kind of almost convince you almost. I'm not saying I was convinced, but I'm just saying in the movie, they almost convince you that Sydney herself is the fucking killer. Yeah. There were moments when I was watching it the first time that I kind of wondered, is it possible? She's actually a red herring in this movie. Could you imagine if they would have pulled the trigger on that? It would have been ballsy. It would have been ballsy. Might have even been rewarded for it. But still, I'm just saying. So with that being said, um, let's talk about like the movie. Let's get a synopsis of the movie, and then we'll go into some positive negatives. Um, basically, 11 years have gone by. Sydney has written a book. Life has gone back to normal for one Sydney Prescott. 
pretty much. And then she's coming home for a book signing. Around this same time, our friend Ghostface has made a return to Woodsboro. <laughs> uh, perfect timing, right? And now Absolutely. people are dying again. But I got to be honest, this Ghostface, a little more flamboyant with the kilts. I mean, Sydney does find a dead body in her trunk. Yeah. It's an interesting, like, well, concept. It wasn't a dead body, but it was all covered in blood with her picture, like, all over her oh, books yeah, yeah, and stuff, true. and the knife was in there along with the cell phone. Right, but still, we knew it was from a dead body. It was bad. Right. It was disgusting. But you know what I mean. So, going through this movie, we get introduced to her family, which, you know, I didn't realize that, you know, I mean, I guess we should have known she had an aunt and a cousin. But we get introduced to them, and we get introduced to her. Now, we're mostly focusing on her cousin. Now, you know, the lineage of the Prescotts uh, and her friends, which, you know, typical friends. Once again, we have now gone into the 2011 version of children. So it's a little different. These kids are grown up on the uh, streaming and the social medias. So we get that a little more in this movie than we had in the past because they didn't have those things. Also... Remember, cell phones in 2011, a lot better than cell phones in 2000. So we yeah. get to deal with that situation as well. So I thought that they actually, believe it or not, in a positive thing, I thought that they handled the technology for the time pretty well. Yeah, I would agree with that. So as we go through, of course, death is going to come to uh, Jill's friends. Jill, of course, is her cousin. Pronouns, pal, right? Right. But uh, Jill is her cousin, and we're, death is going to come to her friends. And now, David Arquette, who is now not Deputy Dewey anymore, he is Sheriff Dewey, is uh, faced with it. And once again, for, for Mike C's favorite tie-in, Gail Weathers and, and Sheriff Dewey are no longer a thing. Or no, they're married. Oh, no, they story. are. They're married. Oh, they're, they're a step behind because in real life, they were no longer a thing, right? In real life, they were no longer married. Right, they, right. They well, they, they're always a but... step behind, right? Right. Okay, that's what it is. I always, I always forget that part. So, yes, they're married in this. And, of course, Deputy Dewey also has a, 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 a how would you put, an admirer? Is that what Deputy you would describe her? Deputy Judy. And Deputy De Judy is definitely into Dewey. Um you know, there's some issues between Dewey and Gail. They're they're married, but you can tell that there's some tension there. Uh, Gail feels left out. She wants to help solve the crimes. Dewey's kind of leaving her in the dark. Um, Judy's quick to point that out. You know, there, there's definitely there's definitely some tension between uh, Deputy Dewey and, and Gail Weathers in this because because Judy wants Dewey, and I oh, just I, I want to point out I have a feeling in the new movie. I've said this before that Dewey and Gail are going to be divorced in this one, and I wouldn't be surprised if Dewey's either involved with or is married to Judy. Oh, that'd be Could interesting. Be that, that would be interesting. I like that throw out there. So anyways, this. Uh, so now they're trying to find out who one Ghostface is as Ghostface is back. Uh, at one point in juncture, Gail now teams up with some high school film nerds. Best way I could throw it out there. Somebody, so this is, feels like something I would have been a part of if I was in high school in 2011. Uh, of course, that would be Robbie Mercer, played by Eric Knudsen, and Charlie Walker, played by Rory Culkin. Uh, by the way, I thought both of these young men did a very good job in this movie. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, 
isn't it funny that Gail Weathers always finds a way to reinvent herself? <laughs> I love that about these movies. And once again, she is now teaming up with the media club. And uh, <laughs> right? one of the things that they're showing is a stabathon in a barn. Go figure. Wonder where we got stabathon from. Thought it was original, wasn't it? No. So anyways, uh, and this is, uh, you know, where Gail gets her... Well, actually, we think Gail meets her demise in this one. Yeah. But come to find out now, because it's harder to kill Gail Weathers than it is to eat a $2 steak. <laughs> right. Uh, so anyways, nutshell of the story, like I said before, we go into the pauses and stuff. Uh, we end up with finally the reveal and showdown uh, at uh, Kirby's house. And surprise, surprise... The killers in this movie. Killers. Once again, we're back to two. Are Charlie, Rory Culkin, and Jill, the cousin of one. Sydney Prescott. Sydney Prescott. Amazing. Just amazing. I just was letting it breathe. I was giving it the air that it deserved. And you like know, a fine wine. we go we go into the final, which we'll talk about in a minute because I'm sure it's going to come up in our positive and negatives. I just wanted to throw out. The synopsis. So, with that being said for this movie, Mike C., I'll start with you. What were your positives of Scream 4? Um, I, I do like that it was a darker film than Scream 3. Um, it, it Totally, it, it kind of felt more like the original movie. Um, it kind of had just, it, it had a certain feeling that was similar. More, It was more similar to the original movie um, than, than the other two sequels. You know, one takes place in a college, one takes place in Hollywood, you know. So this one definitely feels more like it. And I was glad that they brought it back to Woodsboro. The only uh, thing that I would say about that that I wish they would have done, and I've mentioned this uh, countless times with other movies, I just wish they would have filmed it in the same locations as the original was filmed. And I know that's easier said than done. Sometimes people don't want them back at their houses because maybe there's a new owner. Maybe they destroyed their property. You know, who knows what the reasons are. I just I, this one was filmed, I believe, in North Carolina, whereas the original one was filmed in California, um, and I think that that showed a little bit. But you know, again, the tone of it anyway was was very similar to the original, and I'm glad that they at least brought it back to the town of Woodsboro, even if it didn't exactly look the same. Um, I, I like there. There's positives and negatives to the whole thing with Dewey in this one. I, I never liked that all of a sudden he's a completely different he's you know obviously it's 11 years later he's matured he's grown up but he's like this weathered cop in this one and he's a he's a stronger character he's not he's not doofy anymore he's not the you comedy know, that's one relief of the things, he's not the comedy yeah he's relief not the comedy anymore. relief anymore he's very much a serious character and he's got a couple of scenes in there where it's kind of like you chuckle at it um like especially like the lemon squares thing you know it's like <laughs> they don't they don't they, they're good they're not bad but you know he's not the, he's not the comedy relief he's not deputy doofy yeah. Anymore. I agree. You By know? the way, you made mentions of this in Scream 3, that he loses the limp. I have an yeah, answer for that. I have an answer. It's because he got on DDP yoga. That's got to be what it was. That's what it was. That's He got on the DDP yoga, he got more serious about life, and he got rid of the limp. <laughs> right. I mean, explained. We explained it right here on Horror Zone 607. Yes, that's got to be it. So it's the uh, mystery has been revealed here. But, um, you know, Courtney Cox, she's doing her Gail Weathers thing, and she's she's great. You know, in my opinion, she's the best part of this movie. Um, Nev Campbell, I felt, for the second straight movie was a little bit – she was a little bit more involved in this one than she was in Scream 3. Uh, she was 
she was hesitant to do both movies. She was really hesitant to be involved with Scream 3, so they did cut her back a little bit in that movie. Um, but so she she was involved in this movie more, but she just at the same time she felt a little bit like she was lesser of a character to me. Ironically enough, I was going to say the same thing. Uh, just like in Scream 3 and I didn't bring it up because I, there was no reason because I was going to bring it up here. I really feel like her performance in a lot of it is really checked out. Like, yeah. honestly, like I didn't, I'm not a big fan of Nev Campbell's performance in either three or four. Right. And she I really so feel, yeah. Movies. And I really feel like in a lot of the scenes, there's times where you're watching and you just feel like she's just checked out. Like she's yeah, just here, she's just the collect motions. the paycheck, get the motions. And it's really weird. There's, there's, and then, but on the other end of it, I think that's what makes, and we're going to talk about it when we get to the end again, because I really want to talk about this. Something like the end where it's so overacted for her. Like it, I think that's what made it feel overacted. Like I feel it could have yeah. been better, but I feel like she then is trying to do too much almost. It's a really weird dynamic she just kind of telegraphed her performances yeah. yeah i think she was like okay well i got to give him something for the finale so here yeah but you could tell that it wasn't from the heart it's a, it's a real weird scenario but right. I, I agree with you i i think it's neat that you picked up on that too that i really feel she was not giving the performance she had given in the first two films and in the third film and fourth film she's kind of i mean she's there yeah. but she's not the character that we came to love in the first two films right right she's just not She's, she didn't feel the same, no, you know, and I agree. whatever. It is what it is. And a lot of characters didn't feel the same. Gail was the only character that felt the same. Yeah, I me. agree. She she so. brings it as Gail Weathers in every film. It's something that they, I got to give Courtney Cox credit for, is that she tunes into that character like that. Like right. it's, it's it's a great extension of herself, and I and I think she takes great pride into it because literally Gail Weathers, even though we, like we said, she reinvents herself every movie, but... She doesn't, it doesn't change who Gail is. She is right. always Gail Weathers. She just reinvents how she has to get shit done. And that's part yeah. of Gail Weathers. No matter what, Gail is going to get shit done. She is. And she's, you know, she's still that, wants to be that cutthroat reporter. She wants to get the glory, wants to get the fame. You know, that, that shark is still inside of her. That great oh, white shark is still inside of her. But you can tell that, you know, time has passed her by and she's just, you know, she's, she's got that jealousy in her because now Sydney is the one that's famous and she's kind of, you know, having a hard time doing anything in life. Um, Which makes her know, a red herring in this film. A little bit. For part of it. Part of it. Um, a couple other things that I got to say that I, I enjoyed about the movie. Um, you know, Deputy Judy kind of takes on the role of Deputy Dewey. And this one where she's a little bit more, she's not as doofy, but she's kind of doofy. She's kind of like nerdy and, you and know, I, she kind of alludes to that. There's a darker edge to her too, though. I thought she played well, this there's role. there's that one scene when... You know, you guys don't remember me. I was in your class, right? She has that conversation with uh, Sydney, and she's yeah. standing in the shadows. I thought that she was going to be the killer. Yes, you know, and that was... I thought that's where they were leaning, and I like the fact that they went a little dark there. That's what I was getting at because she has this whole life's like dialogue where she's like, "Oh, you guys don't remember me. I was in your class, right?" And it's, it's almost like a jealousy kind of thing coming through, especially because she's talking from the shadow, right? It's really cool. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it was a darkness to her, and she gets away from being goofy, and she's in the shadows, and she's, you know, I don't know. It, it made her a very big red herring. Oh, yeah. I just kind of expected it, you know, at some point. But Hayden Panettiere was really good as Kirby. Oh, you know, yeah. She was funny. She was awesome. Um, and, of course, Emma Roberts is, is, you know, what we come to find out, Crazy Jill. Dude, her performance is great in this movie. 
It was. On one hand, you have for three quarters of this movie, she plays the all-American girl next door. You can see her booked as the new Sydney in that moment. She's because yeah. you see her start. It's almost the because remember, Sydney is very much inspired by Laurie Strode. Yeah. It's this everyday girl who gets put in this, you know, insane scenario, but rises to the occasion to be the hero. And that's what makes the the final girl. The, the That's why Laurie Strode is the all-time final girl, right? The template. And that is what Nev Campbell is, is that she is the everyday girl that you can't help but fall in love with, gets put in a real fucked up situation that she should never be able to succeed in. But yet she succeeds and continues to succeed and become stronger. And you see that in Jill. When Jill's attacked in the movie and she comes back and she's not scared. And you're just like, at first you're like, oh, she's got to be the new Sydney. And then they fuck, her, they fuck her minds at the end and she's not the new Sydney. She's the killer. She's the mastermind. Yep. She's, she's not even just the killer of the two killers. She is the mastermind of the two killers. All right. She has set this whole world up. And I know we were going to get into this, and that's why I kind of wanted to save it for now. But at the end of the movie, because we are very critical of the certain things at the end of three, and once again, we, we acknowledge this is what happened, because that's what happens here at the end of four. We find out that Jill wants to be famous, like her aunt, or her cousin. Sorry, I said her aunt. Her cousin. She wants to be famous. And because Sydney was known as the survivor girl and she is everybody's sweetheart, she wants to be that girl. That's why she modeled herself. Crazy ass Jill modeled herself with that goodness. And when she flips and is crazy is going, yeah, I'm going to be you because I'm going to survive. The killer was my boyfriend and this other fucking loser that I've made my patsy. And I'm going to be just like you and take over that mantle. Right. Fucking insane. And I would have been more critical of it as I was with three if it wasn't for the fact that, A, this whole movie, we got to know Jill. And B, the other difference is her convincing in that star fucker mentality, especially in 2011, that's where the YouTube celebrity and, you know, online celebrity was starting and was becoming big. I thought that this was perfect in a way to reflect what was going on in the world. I'm going to be famous and these kills are going to be more these these this killing is going to be more famous because we aired it because remember they're videoing it yeah so she is going into this going man i'm going to be way bigger than you were and her only obstacle is her cousin who i'm going to finally do what none of the other ones could do and murder you as well so not only am i going to be a better killer than any of the other killers but now i'm going to take your mantle as the ultimate survivor girl yeah, and, you know, kind of much like I, I thought that, you know, there was uh, definitely several moments in the movie where it seemed like it could be Sydney might be the killer. I actually thought that Sydney was going to die. Oh, yeah. In this too. movie. But that's where we come to one of my big negatives is the actual end of the film. Like, honestly, if you go through the scene where she thinks she kills Sydney and she sets everything up, and, of course, then we see her beat the shit out of herself, yeah. which is hilarious in its own. Because they show us like her whole setup and she's throwing herself through glass tables and stabbing herself with knives that are pranked up in the thing and ripping, using her, uh, what was it, her ex-boyfriend's hand to rip her hair out of her head. Yeah. It was crazy. She, and scratch herself with his hand. So it's her yep. skin follicles. She really fucking thought about everything. Yeah. And it was, I thought that was brilliant. I did too. I thought that was perfect. But then we get to the real ending, which is the hospital. 
and while in the hospital and she comes to and she's like, I can't believe and she's playing it up. And then, of course, Sheriff Dumbass, because this is where he becomes a dumbass for a moment for whatever reason, spoils out the fact that Sydney's alive, too. Right. And, of course, that means she has to wander down the hall. And I, I do like the fucking initial when she goes into the room. Why won't, why won't you just die, bitch? Yeah, <laughs> like right. She is mad. And that leads to the fact that Gail figured out that Jill was the killer. And, of course, that leads us to the famous, uh, uh, you know, Gail comes, saves the day, as always. Like, literally, if you think about it, Gail always is the one that saves the fucking day. Yeah. And while she's uh, saving the day, we get the famous clear. Yeah. Where they fucking paddle the sides of her head. Now, the interesting part of this ending, and this is what I'm going to get into why I don't like it in a minute. The interesting part of the ending, and I will say this, is that the news reporters are reporting about Jill being the survivor and not the killer. We go off air of this movie never having admitted that Jill's the killer to the public. Right. I don't know if that's going to come into play a part in part five or Scream 2022, sorry, or not. But that was very interesting to me that they're still talking about her brave struggle to be a survivor, even after now we know that she's a killer. That's yeah, the first thing. I think that maybe that was something where, you know, maybe that was going to go along with the original trilogy that they were going to be setting up this movie to be, you know, the, the first in a new trilogy. Um, you know, that may have played a role in it later. I don't know. You know, at the same time, it's just the newscast. They don't know what's going on inside the, you know, inside the hospital. And obviously you know, it wouldn't take long to figure out. Right. But I thought it was very telling for the wasn't. storytellers to end the movie with that is the sound clips. Right. Think about they, the, the storyteller, the, you know, between Kevin Williamson writing and the directing of, of Wes Craven, they ended right. that movie with those being the sound clips you hear though. Right. You know, so that, to, to me, that was interesting. Uh, which I could play a part in with what the trilogy we're talking about. It could very well play a part. Uh, my my thoughts are maybe that Jill doesn't die if there's a trilogy. Yeah. Maybe Jill is the is alive because I mean, not, not, electrocuting her in the head doesn't necessarily mean she's going to die. Right, and I've been saying right along that's one thing that hasn't happened, and it should. They this should is the leave killer, a killer alive. Yeah. Yes. So that that could have been a thing that they were trying. Who knows. My biggest problem with the ending is I thought that they had such a great end with how she put everything together that that little tag on piece kind of did irritate me in a way. I almost would have been better off with Sydney dying, especially after the mailed in performance and then yeah. going on from there. But once again, I'm not the one making the decisions. I also think that one of the big missed opportunities, and I know that I, I definitely know you want to talk about this. I really think the biggest missed opportunity is that Sydney could have been the killer in this film. Yeah, it's just she's so. You can look at it two different ways. She's always been the hero, and longtime fans of the franchise would lose their minds if they did that. It would have been a polarizing ending, and I don't know that people would have would have appreciated that and liked it. Um. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that would have been the right thing to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's the right thing to I do. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm just saying maybe there could have been a reward if they would have gone ballsy. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that's right. Also, I, I really did like uh, Hayden Panettiere's uh, Kirby character. I thought she would have made a perfect killer, too. Yeah. And then there was a moment there where I kind of thought until like 
you know, at the end when she's in there with Sydney in the room and she's going through like all the different horror movies and stuff, that's when you realize that she's really panicked and that she's not. By the um, way, I want to point out there's a fun fact about this movie. We find for the only time in canon, Mrs. Loomis's name is actually mentioned in this scene. Oh, yeah. Because when Kirby's setting up to die because she thinks that uh, Charlie is going to be killed outside, a la Steve in the original film, they're doing the questions. And then they ask who the killers in the stab films are. And the killers in the stab films mirror the killers in the real movies. So when she gets the stab too, she says Mickey. And then Mrs. Loomis, some people thought her name was Nancy. Her real name was Debbie. Right. <laughs> so she throws out the fact that Debbie Loomis is actually the name of the mother. In, right. the, in the movie, which we never knew what her first name is, but she throws it out there, even with the rumors that the name was going to be Nancy Loomis, of course, in homage to uh, the actress who played in the original Halloween. Oh, Annie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they thought that the, the, that's, that's where they thought that the homage was. So everybody always thought, thought it was Nancy. That's why she says, some thought it was Nancy. It was actually Debbie. And then she goes on. So there is actually, that is the moment in, in, the, in the entire series where we find out Mrs. Loomis's actual real first name is. Right, right. Yeah, so. And I stand corrected a minute ago, I, a few minutes ago, I said that this movie was filmed in North Carolina. This one was actually filmed in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. Oh, by I the way, I also myself. stand corrected because I was I, I said it backwards. Her name is actually Nancy Loomis in response to the, the Debbie was her name because it was Debbie Salt. So everybody just assuming it was Debbie Loomis. It's actually Nancy Loomis. That's it was I was backwards. Gotcha. I said it backwards being as, but yes, it was an homage to the, the great actress who played Annie in the original Halloween. Right. That's where, who Mrs. Loomis was named after. But yes, everybody, because remember, it's Debbie Salt. And yes. is her fake name. So everybody thought it was just Debbie Loomis. No, it's Nancy Loomis is her name. So she, anyways, Kirby brings that up in the trivia because, you know, she doesn't get stumped in trivia, damn it. I remember, as a matter of fact, that, that's what the, when you, I fucking won. She's all excited about it, remember? That's how fucking Charlie ends up killing her. Right, right. Because she takes her eye off the prize because she was so, you know, happy that she won. I won. Because right. the tr- they couldn't get around the trivia, which, you know, she knew her shit. Give her credit. She knew her shit. But anyways, with that being said, Mike C, let's take a trip around the internet before we tie a nice bow on the first four parts of Stabathon before we get into next week and the new movie. Uh, so around the internet, this is what the scores were. 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. 52% on Metacritic. 60% on Rotten Tomatoes combined score. And 83% of Google users like this film. As always, I'll go first. Listen, man, I actually like the fact that this went back to the meta version. I also like that this, and you brought it up, and I didn't even say it, but because I, I just piggyback off of you because we have we agreed. This movie is dark. It is 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 it's not quite as dark as the original, but it is dark. We went back to a, a place, and you know me, I love my mean-spirited dark films. And I I feel like this was the first time. And, you know, the last two movies where we really went there and this movie does. And even with its ending, very dark in the in the in the reason I overall like the ending and I knew a lot of people didn't is because it was kind of real. At the time, there was a lot of young children, just like today, this is the beginning of it, going around wanting to become YouTube celebrities and online celebrities. And like, it was that very, I want to be a star mentality. And that's what drives, at the end of the day, our killer to be a killer. Is right. I want to be a star. And if even if I have to kill my own mother, even if I have to kill my own cousin, she, think about it, she kills her mother in this film. Yeah. 
she kills her cousin. She try well, she thinks she kills her cousin before she wakes up and then still tries to do it again. So like she's willing to kill flesh and blood to get fame. And and of course she found the perfect Patsy, which I thought also tie in. We didn't mention it until right now, but Charlie is is definitely a, a, the new age Stu Mocker. He's the follower. Yeah. He was kind of, you know, weird and odd, and he needed the direction. In a lot of ways, remember, Stu, even though he was confident in stuff, it was more of a fake confidence. And and he was kind of a loser. Yeah. And that's what that's that's what happens here with Charlie. He's a fucking loser. And then he gets this confidence and bravado by being around Jill. So it's kind of like almost mirroring the first movie with 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 Bill and Stu, Billy and Stu, sorry, with Jill and Charlie. Right. It's, it's kind of weird that their names are s- kind of similar as well. Especially if Probably you would have called Stu, if, especially if you would have called Stu Stewie. Right. Because you could have had Bill and Stewie. I know they did it differently in Jill and Charlie. But anyways, I, I just think it was interesting. And uh, I don't know how much this movie is going to play effect into the new movie. But uh, believe it or not, with all things aside and the bad taste of some people, I actually uh, really enjoyed this movie and thought it was actually a very good you know, movie. I understand why people don't like it. I understand why I think a lot of people, when they if they've only seen it from back then, didn't like it because of the time it was in. But I felt like this thing did a lot of good things. Of course, there is things, obviously, we brought up that I didn't like about this movie, but there's it's going to be there. But overall, I gave this a 7 out of 10. I, don't, I think it's the third best movie in the franchise. Um, I do like it better than 3. I do think 3 is the worst. With that being said, 3 being the worst is better than the worst in the Friday the 13th series. And in the Halloween franchise, proving once again what I said that I was going to prove before, that I really believe the Scream franchise as a franchise is possibly the best franchise in horror. And that is because even its worst movies are still very, actually really good movies and entertaining to watch. They're only off because of certain, you know, minor, not even minor, but little plot holes and like shit like that that you can pick through. It's not like it's, oh shit, this movie's just atrocious. Like, let's be honest, Friday the 13th Part 8. Or, you know, there's always, you know, Curse of Michael Myers. <clears throat> yeah. Resurrection. Ugh. You know what I mean? Like, there's there, there's no there's no bad taste in your mouth like those movies right. in this series. Proving and that how many my scores. movies are bad. Oh, know? my God. Some are just atrocious. Yeah, I mean, like I've said, I mean, the only other thing that I would say is probably comparable in terms of how how good the series is would be saw, but even they have started to go downhill. Yeah. There's the some, there's few a few good, there's a few bad. I, I think there's a few bad saw movies, but I would agree. Um, the only one that you could really give it credit to, but there is a stinker in there too is, is aliens. Not counting oh, yeah, the alien, alien. versus predator part, but the, the last alien movie was pretty bad. Alien Resurrection. Yeah. yeah. What is it with movies in Resurrection? They yeah. Just, just can't get those right. So there was even a really bad movie in that series, but the original Alien movies, with the exception of Resurrection, were also very good as well. But, I mean, there's always usually a real... And this series does not... Even if you didn't like it... I And, I mean, there's obviously detractors who hate this series who are going to tell us that we're crazy and we're wrong and blah, 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 blah. And that's fine. But I'm just saying, if you if you go to the... The most horror fans, they're not going to score any of these Scream movies lower than they would score some of the other movies in a franchise, which means that as a whole, this franchise is a pretty damn good franchise and well taken care of. Is it perfect? No. And there was not a perfect movie in the bunch. Like I said, the closest was the eight and a half I gave the original Scream. And trust me, I love that movie as well. But 
as a franchise, I think I proved it here. But uh, my official score for Scream 4 is a 7 out of 10. All right. Um, so, again, for me, this movie just feels out of place when you consider it part of a now a quadrilogy. Um, it just it feels out of place. It doesn't. Eh. Well, Don, Mike, it's going to be a synquilogy pretty soon. Yeah, I know. But I mean, just with with, you know, just the way that the characters were. Yeah, Gail was Gail, but Sydney didn't feel like Sydney. Dewey didn't feel like Dewey. It was an unnecessary movie. It just kind of sticks out on its own. It doesn't really fit in with the other trilogy. You know, the first three films. True. Um, so for me, that's always been a detractor for it. It just feels completely unnecessary. And to me, it doesn't feel as good as the other films, even though it's not a bad movie. You know, as a, on a whole, it's, it's not a bad movie. So um, although there are parts of this movie that I feel are better than Scream 3, like the tone of it and, you know, stuff like that, um, there are parts of Scream 3 that I like more than Scream 4. So uh, to me, although they're completely different movies and there's good and bad in both of them, I'm, I'm going to actually give this a six and a half too. Same as Scream 3. Um, Fair score. Pretty good score. But, you know, I, I feel like there's, as an overall story, I almost feel like this is the better movie, but there's just certain parts of it that just don't make sense to me. I, unlike you, I actually think that Charlie was a terrible character. Um, I think that the boyfriend was awful. That Dude, guy the boyfriend was a terrible was, actor. Listen, I want to point this out. Not only is the boyfriend a terrible actor, you felt zero remorse for him. Yeah. Like, there was there no really party. There just wasn't a whole lot of scumbag. character developed for this new age group of characters. Well, you know, you know what They is, were there, but... I honestly, and this is what I chalk it up to, and I could be wrong, my tone for this is Williamson was writing it as the new generation of kids, and basically that was his statement, that this new generation of kids is shallow and there's nothing to them. Maybe that's why they felt like they were such unlikable characters. Yeah, because if you think about it, I will give credit to Kevin Williamson here, and we've talked about a plenty of his movies, and he's made some real good movies. He's made a few, eh. But for the most part, let's be honest, Kevin Williamson has written some great fucking movies. Yeah. And he has always gotten the tone in the room of the generation he's writing about. Because he, uh, he's always written about teenagers or early adults. Like, let's be honest, that's where his wheelhouse is. But right. I, I really feel like he's gotten the tone. And say what you will about, like, the emo tones and shit like that, especially in H2O, like that new metal vibe. But that was in at the time. He, that was the tone of kid that was at the time. And I love H2O. I thought he nailed it. Because that's the yeah. generation of kids he was writing about. Just like in the 90s in Scream, the way that, that, that Sydney and her friends act, that is how kids acted in the 90s. I was there. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's and true. I really feel that if you definitely, and, and I, I, I'm not trying to disparage any of our younger generation, but if you guys look in the fucking mirror, he's not writing about everybody. Obviously, he's just writing about that one group of people. And the kids seem to be obsessed with celebrity and fame and not having to do anything for it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So I feel right. like I feel like the writing of the characters, and I, I agree with you, some were deeper than others because we had that real, and I think that's what he wanted to tell because like the Kirby character is a very deep character. She's a hot, popular girl, but come to find out, she's a movie nerd. You know what I yeah. mean? But I, I thought that that was a cool deepness to that character, but think about all the other characters even jill herself yeah she acts that character very well but that character is a very come at the end of the day is a very shallow character but that's the story I, and i really do believe that's the story i believe the story was hey this generation of kids is just shallow this is what you have and right. i think that where that goes is now in what we've seen for scream 2022 in the 
and the trailers, because I don't want to go beyond them, because obviously I want to be pleasantly surprised with this movie. I feel like the characters are now, once again, if you look at just what we see interaction-wise just in the trailer, it is kind of like, and I have a 16-year-old that lives in my house. I have my stepson. This is kind of the generation of kid we have now, which is not as shallow. Trust me, it's not. It's a little more interesting. And I think that he's really done a good job of writing. So I don't know if that's fact, but I would like to believe that's fact because it seems like his track record is to write the kids in that generation the way they are in real life. Right. So that could be what it was too. Now, mind you, I, I did. That's part of my detraction points was that the characters were kind of eh. But then again, you know, have you, have you ever talked to somebody who graduated around 2011, 2012 shots fired? Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. And if you are one of those people and you're, you don't, and you're not, I understand that's not everybody. It's just kind of a generalization, especially from our old man heritage. Right. <laughs> But with that being said, I, 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 but I agree with you. It's still a solid score at six and a half. Once again, even with you saying it, it proves the point that even the worst movies in this franchise are still pretty darn, are good. Still pretty damn good in comparison. Like right. there was no, even as good as Scream was, it wasn't quite Halloween. So it never had that real gigantic movie. Or I, I would even say it falls a little short of Friday the 13th, the original. Yeah. However, as a franchise, I think it surpassed all of them. And with the... Early reviews that we're hearing about Scream 2022, I don't think it's going to stop. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. This, I don't know. I think this might be the what they've been looking for is to kick off like a new trilogy. I, I have a feeling that's where this is going to go. Maybe not. I know that they were originally talking that this wasn't going to be the planned first and only movie here, that they want to carry it on. But we'll see. You know, so We're going to find out in a week. We're giving speculation here. So I want to ask you this. Do you speculate that the follow-up will come out in a couple years and it'll be called Scream Kills? And then the final uh, one will be called Scream Ends. Scream Ends. Uh, uh, and it'll be uh, written and directed by uh, Danny McBride and uh, David Gordon Green. Yeah, by the way, we find out at the last minute that this movie was not written by who we thought it was written by. It's actually <laughs> the, a Danny McBride Danny film. McBride wrote it. And, uh, and Green isn't part of it as well, damn it. Yeah, that's why this is going to be good in the Halloween movies lately have not been. Oh. This is this has got an accomplished writing team behind it. Good I agree writers. with you. I agree with you completely. Um but uh do you have any final thoughts coming into Scream 2022? Any uh you know, this is the last time to put it out there cuz obviously the movie's not out yet. I mean, you know, when Scream 4 came out, I was kind of like I was excited the year leading up to it. I followed everything and I was kind of excited, but I was kind of like, well, why are they doing this? And then when I saw it, I was kind of like, eh. This one I've got a really good feeling about. Um, I'm kind of thinking, you know, just stick with me here when I say this real quickly because, you know, we got to wrap up the show here. But American Pie, there's been four American Pie movies. If you don't include all those direct video ones, that had nothing to do with the original cast. The original movie was great. The second one was OK, but it had a different feel to it. The third one really had a different feel to it. It was missing some of the characters and it just kind of felt like everybody was going through the motions in the second and third one. And then American Reunion came out. And it was supposed to take place in the same town as the original. It looked the part. Everybody was back. It felt the part. Everything felt good about that movie. It had all of the nostalgia of the first one. And to my, in my opinion, was the best sequel of the American Pie, you know, quadrilogy that they've got there. I kind of get the feeling that's what they're doing with this one. This is going to do what Scream 4 did not do. It's going to bring everything back to the original. It's going to have all of these legacy characters and offspring and relatives, and it's all going to combine to tell a really big story back in a town that's going to actually feel like the real town. 
You know, you got Stu's house back in this one. They're going to great lengths to make this movie look and feel like the original one. So I've got high hopes for this one and a really good feeling. And maybe it won't be. But, you know, maybe I'll feel like I did for Halloween 2018 when this is all said and done. But I really think that this is going to be a really good movie. And uh, I think it's going to tie really well with the uh, with the original, maybe first two or three movies. So that's my thought going into it. I hope I'm right. We're going to find out in a week. Yeah, I, I just want to echo that as well as you. I think that I, I don't want to speculate too much before we go into closing. I do want to point out that the writer of this movie is James Vanderbilt. Um, this man has written some great shit. And uh, he has written Darkness Falls, Basic. The Rundown, Zodiac, uh, The Losers, The Amazing Spider-Man, and he was the producer of Ready or Not. Right. I knew that he was involved with the Ready or Not guys. Yes. So He was the producer on that and, of course, teamed up there as well uh, with the people who are directing this film. Because right. the, the, two, the two gentlemen direct this film are Matt bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillette, and they are the directors of Ready or Not. Correct. So. Like this movie Which was is a brilliant in, movie. right. It was brilliant, and once again, he was a producer on that movie. But he has written some great movies in the past. Uh, Darkness Falls is one of those early two thousands. Uh, believe it or not, not a bad movie. Yeah, uh, but I disagree with that. I don't think that's a very good movie. But I, I don't think it's a bad movie. But let's be honest, better. he also wrote Zodiac. Zodiac's an outstanding movie. Exactly. He also wrote Zodiac. So I mean, like this guy is has got some hell of a credits to his name. See, I I don't know if Darkness Falls was written badly. It was possibly directed badly. You got to remember. True. But Zodiac was written masterfully, and it was a great movie. So I mean, I have some faith in Basic. Also, have you ever seen Basic? That's with uh, uh, John Travolta and the Samuel L. Jackson. Very yeah, good it was film. a long time ago I saw it. I if you haven't, go out of your way and rewatch that, Mike. And for all those people at home, I know it's not horror. It's a great fucking movie, though. And it's a whodunit, right. proving that this guy can write a whodunit. Right. He can write a whodunit. But uh, I, I have complete faith in these guys, so cannot wait to see it. And like I said, the early buzz says that we will not be disappointed. With that being said, if you would like to comment on anything about our reviews of the Scream movies during Stabathon, or, you know, just drop us a line, you can do that on social media, HorrorZone607 on Facebook. Like and share the page at HorrorZone607 on Twitter and Instagram. Hashtag HZ607 for everything else. And, of course, for all information and to dive in deeper to the well, make sure you hit us up at 8122productions.com. It's your one-stop shop. Make sure you get all of that. If you don't remember what I said, it is in the liner notes for this show. And uh, Mike C, because we're not going to see you next week because you're not going to be seeing the movie. And I'll be joined by a guest that I don't know who yet uh, to review Scream 2022 and more. Uh, Send the people off because you're going to be gone for a couple weeks. You're on vacation for a little bit. Yeah, another vacation. It just uh, feels like I just got done with one here, huh? But uh, Yeah, but, but you I got a long one in. in. You got a long one yeah. in before. Yeah, I know. So, uh, you know, I'll be back in a couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, everybody make sure you tune in and uh, hear what Rich and uh, whoever is with him have to say about the new Scream movie. You know, if for some reason things turn around and I end up getting to see it, then I'll be there. But uh, otherwise, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks and uh, enjoy the show next week. So uh, until then, for Rich, I'm Spooky Mike. Say and see ya.